0: W-A-P-G, Airline Pilot Guy.
1: Airline Pilot Guy, episode 297. Flight 209, you are clear for takeoff. Roger. LA. 123.9. Roger. All right. We Hold. Flight Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, a view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 6116 in the Hilton Recording Studios in Omaha, Nebraska. In today's show, a woman gets flight diverted over a cheating husband, Pakistan Airlines flight lands midway, not to the destination, and then asks the passengers to go ahead and complete their journey on a bus, and Major League Baseball star pitcher. Roy Halliday dies in a plane crash in the Gulf of Mexico. That more news, your feedback, and the latest plane stall, plane tails installment from 4 to 1. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 297 is ready for pushback. Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. I'm Captain Jeff, an airline pilot for a major U.S. legacy carrier. And joining me today from the Carolinas, a commercial multi-instrument rated pilot, marathon runner, skydiver, and so much more, a doctor, Dr. Steph.
2: Hello. Great to be here. Back for episode 297, for at least part of it anyway. Um, glad to talk with all of you guys this afternoon/ evening, and looking forward to a great show—or at least what I'll get to be here for. I think we'll get to that in just a minute.
1: All right, great to have you with us, Steph, and also joining us from really this time across the pond, a, an Airbus captain or a European carrier, a professional photographer, former RAF and RAAF fighter pilot. Captain Nick Anderson.
3: Hi there, Jeff. Great to see you again. Yep, I've actually made it home this time, and uh, so nice it was to uh, fly across the Atlantic and uh, get in this morning, feeling like uh, um, something the dog the dog just dragged in from the garden, and I've had, managed to get a couple of hours sleep, uh, but I'm just dying to go back to bed and uh, try and recover from this uh, flight, which was a bit busy. So uh, I may not be with us for the whole show, but anyway, great uh, to be with you while I can. And
1: joining us from the north side of Atlanta, northwest side of Atlanta, I guess, a former regional jet pilot, now mainline ACME pilot, Captain Dana.
4: Good afternoon, APG community. Great to be back once again. Looking forward to another great show um, this evening, or afternoon, or morning, wherever you're listening to it. Should be uh, should be fun. Uh, hopefully, uh, Captain Nick can continue with us the whole show. I know Steph might have to leave us, but uh, it's going to be a fun, fun adventure as always. Glad to be here.
1: Is it possible that we are actually getting worse at this uh, every episode? <laughs> <As time goes laughs> I
2: think it's entirely possible and yep. actually coming
3: true. And what's so. more, we're on a downhill run and gathering speed. <laughs> yeah. We <are. laughs> oh well, we're we're having fun anyway.
2: Hopefully, right. everyone's just laughing along with us because <laughs> yeah.
1: I think we're all laughing so. at
2: the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun,
4: you know. That's that's why we do this, isn't it? So we can all have fun and have and well, entertain people. We, it,
1: it certainly is entertaining, Entertaining, I hope, but uh, we um, tend to um, make a mistake or two as we uh, endeavor in this um, podcasting venture, and uh, we should probably just start right off the bat by saying that I think we have dipped below the 50% barrier once again. No. Uh Yeah. You know that last show we were talking about contact approaches?
4: Yeah, I saw that. Sorry.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, we all kind of contributed to some misinformation.
2: I didn't. I don't think I did either. <laughs> okay, well <laughs> lot then. Of approaches, so it was just
3: did. Dana and I that did it. No, it's
2: this, I not. I was just trying to learn from you guys. But, it's okay. Um, yeah. we'll
3: I, I, I didn't even know what you were talking about. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, anyway, uh, this was sent in to us from Steve in Tulsa. He says, unfortunately, the APG accuracy rating took a dip in the APG 296, just minutes after confidently <laughs> announcing... You're welcome for your informative discussion about Hong Kong meeting Fragrant Harbor. The show included some misleading information about visual and contact approaches. Mixing the two could result in a career limiting maneuver. Contact approach approach is not visually following a preceding aircraft. A contact approach is a legal form of scud running to request a contact approach. The pilot must have a mere one mile visibility, be clear of clouds and have only a reasonable expectation of making it to the airport alive. I don't think that's exactly what it says, but uh, that's the gist of it. And uh, Dana was correct that ATC cannot assign a scud run, oops, sorry, I mean contact approach, unless the pilot requests it. The case Dana mentions about following a preceding aircraft on final is a form of visual approach. If the preceding aircraft is cleared for an approach and you report that the aircraft is in sight, the uh, air traffic control can clear you for the visual approach following the aircraft without you requesting it. I believe some... Operators forbid the use of contact approaches. Again, we're now we're back to contact approaches. You may want to check with Acme's chief pilot before requesting a contact approach. And uh, we don't request contact approaches at Acme. And in fact, in uh, one of our manuals uh, and our operating specifications, under the visual approaches, it says, "Note: Contact approaches are not authorized." So you are correct, Steve. And he also gave us some references to the Aeronautical Information Manual. That's what we're calling it now, right? It used to be called Airman's Information Manual and then something aeronautical else. Aeronautical so
2: Information Manual aeronautical. is how I've always known go. it.
3: But Aim. Sure. Okay, well, you AIM. know, so you're so new
1: to I'm this I'm
2: young. Game. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I'm yeah. not old school. I think when Wilbur
3: wrote it, he might have called it uh, Airman. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and even maybe as recent as 15, 20 years ago, it was still called <laughs> the Air, uh, the Airman's Information Manual thank you very much. Um, controllers manual FAAO 7110.65746. Again, references to these, um, are in the show notes. So check it out if you want to do some fascinating reading, but uh, thank you, Steve, for keeping us honest here. We want to make sure we don't give you, you know, bad information. So I thought we'd go ahead and just clear. I'm sure we made a Made some other errors in the last episode. That was the
2: only one that was pointed out to us. So
1: right, yes. If you notice only- an error,
2: feel free to send us uh, a correction at feedback at airlinepilleguy and we will make sure we uh, amend our mistakes.
1: No, send it to trash at
4: airlinepilleguy <laughs> No, I'll just address it directly to me because I am usually wrong. So-
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> that was yeah, just. I am uh, only, only kidding. I am only kidding. We're equal opportunity offenders on this show.
2: Oh, yes.
5: Uh, Oh, yes. Of course.
4: Perfect.
1: (laughs) Don't forget that uh, this is the month of November and or sometimes referred to as Movember for the. um, uh, Let's see. um, Let me click on this here. The uh, No
2: Shave November.
1: No Shave November. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to talk about. You can join Captain Jess Mustache Crew in Movember. And, it's, uh, you can, uh, get the link in the show notes. It's actually the Mo team, M O T E A co Dot captain Jeff's mustache crew, but it's easier just to find the link in the show notes. And then you can join us on the crew. I should probably do that right now to see who has joined us. You are leaving Evernote. Okay. Thank you. I'm heading over there right now to see, um, oh, we've, we've made a, some, a little bit of money for toward the, um, uh, the, uh, donations for this, uh, yeah, it's a uh, motivation is the power to of the mustache to have an everlasting impact on the face of men's health. Oh, I see what they did there. Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to, uh, you know, try to grow a mustache and, um, to look somewhat like mine, head over to that link, the Movember Foundation and uh, that was set up by First Officer Craig. So we want to thank him again for kind of uh, starting that up. We do appreciate that. Um, so I should probably start by taking a couple steps backward and seeing if there's anything interesting that has happened in our lives. Like, let's start with the uh, ladies first. Dr. Steph, anything going on since the last show?
2: Oh, well, since I last talked to you, um, I took a road trip, not a flying trip mostly because the weather was really terrible this past weekend here in uh, North Carolina, um, especially out in the eastern part of the state where I had to go. I have a uh, house out there that I rent out um, in the eastern part of the state, and it had a couple broken appliances in the kitchen, so I had to go take care of some of that. Um, but, you know, just a nice little road trip out for the weekend. Had some really, really, really good food. Um I know Jeff knows where Kinston, North Carolina, is because there's a VOR there that uh, is frequently used for navigation purposes. ISO. ISO. <laughs> ISO
4: yep. There it
1: is. <laughs> so, and how does everybody uh, pronounce that, uh, Dana? Kinston. Oh, I mean, how does how do most people pronounce it?
3: Kingston. Yes. No, it's <laughs> Which Kinston, is
4: incorrect. There's no G in there.
6: There's
2: no yeah, there
3: is it. Look, I, I do it deliberately to get back for everyone who <laughs> comes to the UK goes, and says, Bovington. It's not Bovington, it's Bovingdon. Uh, Bovington. Bovington. Yeah. Boving so That's I do it nice. and I do it deliberately. Yeah. Yes.
2: So anyway, so while I was out there, uh, the town of Greenville is only about 35 minutes away from the town of Kinston driving. So I went down there for a really, really nice meal. Um, there's not a whole lot going on in the actual town of Kinston besides a. Very underutilized airport with a like eleven or twelve thousand foot long runway, which is great for training purposes. I might add, Um, but in the town there's a very very nice restaurant called the Chef and the Farmer. Um, Those of you who are here in the U.S. and I think Canada as well may get on your public television stations a a TV show called um, Oh, what is it? A Chef's Life. Uh, It's about the owner of that restaurant and her uh, endeavors in establishing restaurants and Southern cooking and all of that. And the food is just excellent. It's superb. I didn't have a reservation, but just got there as soon as they opened and went and ate at the bar and it was fantastic. Um, got back actually on, uh, looked at the weather for the rest of this week. I needed to get out and go flying because with all of the traveling I've been doing, I have not been flying myself a whole lot. And my, uh, overall, uh, currency, especially for carrying passengers, but especially for renting aircraft and some of their, um, Uh, Rules and regulations I have to follow in in terms of staying current on their aircraft were going to expire within like the next 10 days. So, looking at the weather for this week, it's not been superb here. It's been kind of soupy and cold and low ceilings and gray and misty, but Monday was actually very nice. So, after work, I went out and rented a 172 and did a couple laps in the pattern, and it was after dark. So, I'm now current and night current and um it was nice to get up and do a little bit of flying for
3: for a change good for myself. job Steph! So, well done
2: yeah it was it was a lot of fun and what else i don't know those of you who are watching the video might notice that i um made a little personal change um last night i went and donated about 12 inches of my hair to uh uh i did this time i sent it to uh pantene beautiful lengths and they make um wigs that are free of charge for women who are going through uh various types of cancer and have lost their their own hair so i donated all of my hair to charity and it my head feels a whole lot lighter now it's very strange
4: i was gonna say go. there's something different there was something different i couldn't figure it out now I now i know what it is yes, yes. i donate and i donate here all the time
2: yes <laughs>
1: to the to the drain yeah. in your shower. So yeah. it's, it's
2: funny when my hair gets very short like this; it, it it gets very curly. It's very it's naturally pretty curly, especially in the back, and it just feels like it's kind of bouncy all over the place. So I don't know, different. Gonna enjoy it yeah. for a while.
3: So. It looks very cute. Yeah, Thank I you. like it. It's Adorable. Kind of great.
2: Appreciate it. So, all right, that's what's up with me.
1: Excellent. Uh, let's see, um, Dana. Tell us about uh, your adventures.
4: Well, I'm going to start off on a very positive note. I had a great trip for the most part. Uh, Last night was probably one of the most memorable uh, overnights I've had in a very long time, in a very positive way. Uh, Like Steph, I uh, went out um, by myself. Captain uh, was not joining me last night. He had a friend in town, so I decided to go over to Little Italy in Baltimore and one of my favorite restaurants back home in Boston is called La Scala. And I saw a, a, a restaurant uh, when I was in the hotel lobby listed as La Scala. And I said, mm, that sounds pretty good. I had a little story about the chef that he's from Sicily right off the boat. I bet that, bet you that place is pretty good. Looked at Yelp. It, it agreed. So I walked over there in nice chilly air and sat down at the, the bar. Had a very nice uh, glass of wine. And only to start talking with the bartender, who then introduced me to the manager, who then introduced me to the owner and chef. And it turned out to be one of the best meals I've ever had. Um, there, uh, It was a veal dish with usually a, a, a masala, which is a masala wine with, um, um, with mushrooms and veal uh, with a little bit of a batter on there. But this is unique. He had put on uh, mozzarella, um, prosciutto, Attachio carts and a splash of sherry in the sauce. It was to die for. It simply was one of the best dishes I've ever had, especially from Italian. So that's how my night ended last night. We hung out and took photographs and joked around with the chef, and and we had a good time. Very good restaurant, La Scala, over there in the um, Little Italy area in Baltimore, if you have a chance. I did put out a little note yesterday, short notice, see if anybody wants to have a meetup in Baltimore never Unfortunately, I heard anything back, so I went out by myself. Um, this morning, woke up and went over to the airport. And Baltimore, as Jeff can probably attest to, can be sometimes finicky and very, very delay-ridden, um, especially with the operations there. This morning, was no exception. Uh, they started fueling the airplane about uh, 15 minutes before our departure time. So we ended up taking a delay on that, six minutes. But just before pushback flight attendant came up and said, uh, the captain's side lab is not flushing. We hear a motor, but no fluid. Well, that started a uh, battle between the folks that will do the lavatories and maintenance because maintenance told the folks that do the lavatories, go ahead and dump it. And they said, no, it's not our problem. We put the fluid in there. It, the lab is fine. Maintenance said, well, it's not our problem. The motor's running. It has no fluid. We went, they went back and forth for over 30 minutes. Before they even attempted to service the lab. Well, amazingly enough, once they serviced the lab, it took care of the issue. Plenty of blue juice coming out. And away we went, taxied out. Air traffic control gave us about a 40 minute delay. And today was one of those days with a little bit of weather in Atlanta and a little, little bit of weather all throughout the, the Northeast, all through the East Coast. And so we were running an hour late with only a, a 49 minute turn in Atlanta. Of course, this is the last day of a four-day trip. Murphy's Law, it's always, always, uh, something happens. Well, that was all fine, Danny. We made a little bit of time up heading over to Charleston. Get Charleston, they do a fantastic job turning the aircraft around only for air traffic control. We're uh, told to go as fast as we possibly can, doing 326 knots at uh, 22,000 feet. And next thing you know, air traffic control says, uh, can you hold at this fix? I forget which fix it was, but it was seven miles off my nose doing 326 knots. If you can do the math, it's about 45 seconds for us to enter into hold and put it in the, into the box uh, because they decided after telling us to go fast the whole way that they're going to put us in hold because they're switching the airport around. So as they switched the airport around, we, we slam on the brakes and then the FMS wouldn't take the entry for the new rival and it was just a goat rope all the way in and instead of a uh, 42 minute flight it turned into about an hour and five minute flight and everybody's getting off the airplane saying shaking their head saying you guys did it again we all missed that connection I'm thinking to myself well you know what hey tell you but we've done everything we can do air traffic control was uh, not the plane f- nice with us and uh, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way this whole day so I'm happy to be here with APG, you know, because that's going to cheer me up as it always does. I'm smiling and happy, but uh, yeah, today was a miserable day.
2: So glad that we can help cheer you up.
1: Of course, <laughs> it's what we're. Do you have for. our happy juice too?
4: Um, it's you know, it's only seventy proof, and it's mostly diet coke, so I'm I'm not going to hit hit the happy juice too much because oh, by the way, in in all my day today, I didn't have a chance to eat anything until I was driving home at two uh, thirty this afternoon, so I'm. So going back to the labs, how was that resolved? They just serviced it.
1: The the like you asked them to to begin with, and
4: yes, exactly. Yeah. And and the the uh, lab service folks there in Baltimore were adamant that it wasn't their problem. The guy was stormed off. They apparently got into some type of tiff between maintenance and the lab service guy, and he storm stormed off and said, "No, I'm not servicing it because it's not my fault. It's not my problem." And finally, when they got him to come back and service it, guess what? It just yep. wasn't serviced properly. And it's one thing if it's an aircraft that's a through flight, but the aircraft had been sitting there all night. How come they didn't, you know? How come the fuel didn't get over there in, t- in a timely manner? And if we had to actually pushed back closer on time, you know, probably would not have found out about the lab because the flight attendant come came up at departure time saying, "Well, somebody um, destroyed the lab back there, and there's no way to get it down." So she's mm. <laughs> thank you so all, all it took was a little bit of blue juice. It's amazing how that works.
3: Mm. Very, now, you only have one. one toilet on that airplane,
4: three. No, we have
3: three. Well, how long's the flight? I mean, wouldn't two toilets have done it for the?
4: It what, would have, the, and that was the suggestion was to go ahead. The flight tenant said she'll go ahead and block it off.
0: Yeah,
4: uh, however, um. Former line check airman instructor, as soon as he heard it, put it into the logbook. So uh, now we're not going anywhere. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm i not. Gonna- well, you
1: can still defer it. Even if it's in the logbook, it can still be deferred.
4: I I, I realized that, but maintenance yeah. in Baltimore was fighting with yeah. The, yeah. it. it
1: turned- yeah. The reason why all this happened is because it was in our Baltimore station.
4: Yes. That's ba-
1: all you really have to say.
4: Well, what did I say on the text? I mean, I said Baltimore. That's all I have to say. I mean, it's just... Yeah, that's it. It's just... A, I don't know why that's so bad. It's
1: a disaster.
4: Yeah. Yep. I don't I've know all why. all kinds of issues there. But, yeah. uh, you know, the captain was... You know, I'm not criticizing him. You know, certainly he's in, in uh, a perfect uh, right to go ahead and put that in the logbook because there was obviously an issue with the uh, airplane maintenance. All they had to do was come up and uh, close it off and sign it off. If they chose not to. They chose to go down the road of of fighting a good battle with the local station uh, contractor because, you know, all of the, uh, even in Atlanta, uh, the lavatory sort of service folks are contractors. We had uh, an untold number of uh, misconnections, including one guy that was going to St. Thomas, missed his flight, and ended up having to go back to JFK. Mind you, we just came out of Baltimore. Came down to Atlanta, had to go back to JFK to catch a flight to St. Thomas in order to get there today.
1: All right. Uh, Very good. Very good. Well, uh, we're glad that you're here, Dana. Hopefully the rest of your day and subsequent days will be much better.
2: Now, like I mentioned before the show started, I had a day just like that on Tuesday where nothing, absolutely nothing went right. And it was nothing huge or major, but it just made the whole day horrible. And you get home and you feel like it just you've been through the ringer for the day and nothing went the way it could. And everyone was upset about everything that happened and none of it was really your fault. And it, it happens to all of us, the best of us. So
1: what can I say? And never ask what else could go wrong.
2: Never ask that. No, because no, something else mistake.
1: will well,
4: it's just
2: waiting right around the corner. Yeah. In,
4: to- in, 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 in our business, we don't want anything else. And you can't see the video because I put in the quotation marks with my hands, We don't want anything else to go wrong, because when something major can go wrong, it will go wrong, and we don't want that, certainly not, so um, I'll take the small stuff, sweat the small, don't sweat the small stuff, it's just one of those things that, as you said, when stuff goes, it's going downhill, and quite literally, this morning at 7 a.m., the manure, Started the whole day off the wrong way because that's what was left in the bathroom that started the whole thing.
1: The stuff hit the fan.
4: Yeah, stuff hit the fan. So, all right, that's my day. Sorry,
1: Captain Nick. How how was uh, your last
3: few days uh, gone? Oh, fine. Nothing happened. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Went to New York. Met up with uh, Matt and uh, Owen from uh, the Plain Talking UK podcast. Had a, uh, a lovely little breakfast with them in the TikTok diner, uh, not far from uh, Times Square, and it was kind of weird. So here we are, an Irishman and two Englishmen, uh, and we're meeting for breakfast like 4,000 miles away in the middle of New York. It's kind of surreal, but great fun, lovely. Enjoyed that. Uh, did a little bit of shopping around B&H photo. Got back, uh, tried to get some sleep in the afternoon for the flight home. Got about an hour, I guess, Uh Got on the airplane, and uh, everyone in the industry know, knows that we do a little bit of catnapping usually if you've got a long overnight flight, as we had. Uh, and uh, my first officer got his uh, little catnap, and then uh, I was just uh, gonna start going to sleep myself uh, and just to, you know, try to shake off the tiredness that overcomes you. And um, of course, at that point, uh, a lot of our communications started to hiccup. So we lost CPDLC, we lost ACARS. Uh, we couldn't telex anybody. We lost position, automatic position reporting. We were reverting to uh, voice. Uh, um, Shamwick were cell calling us every like two minutes. We had a uh, passenger on oxygen uh, in the cabin. So the cabin crew were calling us and uh, I just like. Oh, and then we hit, like, an hour of turbulence. So I just gave up and thought, oh, to hell with it, you know. I'm not going to get any rest at all. So I dragged my sorry uh, backside into Heathrow. Luckily, it was a, you know, very simple approach, 15 knots down the strip. Everything worked fine. And uh, drove home, grabbed a couple of hours sleep, but I'm desperate to get back to bed now, so I can kind of... uh, Get back and even and kill This is the life of an airline pilot. So for those of you who wish to enter the industry, good luck to you. I have got 48 hours of rest now before I uh, go off to Miami. You're heading to Miami? Yeah, got to Miami uh, um, in a couple of days' time. Oh, I'm going to be there uh, tomorrow. Oh, well, unless you want to stick around, me. I'm going to miss you. <laughs> no, i got to
1: fly on Saturday. Oh, <laughs> They're damn. They're expecting me to do something. Oh, damn. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Um, well, on the last day of my last trip, I was um, making my way through Atlanta, did a turn, and then came back, and I was back at uh, mid-afternoon. And uh, I think I mentioned this on the last show. I think it was uh, some feedback from uh, Arik Bluvin. Bluvin. Not sure. Um, Steph, were you on the l- show when I was trying to pronounce his name? Anyway, um, he had said, yeah, some, Eric, he, uh, I thought it was just Eric. No, Eric, 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 uh, and he said that he was going to be coming back through Atlanta, um, on the way home to France. And, uh, he said if I happened to be around at the time, um, uh, that, uh, he'd love to meet up with me. And, uh, so, uh, we ended up meeting together. He got in from Phoenix a little bit before my flight arrived And then uh, they didn't have to leave until like six, seven o'clock, something like that on Friday night. And uh, so I got a chance to talk with Eric and his wonderful family, and I made a little recording. So let's take a listen to that. Well, hello, you APGers out there. You know, we say this over and over again, that uh, the best part of doing this podcast for me, and I think all my co-hosts, is the community and the fact that we get to meet up with people that listen to our show, download our episodes, and are enthusiastic enough to even contribute uh, to the coffee fund and uh, become part of the coffee fund cadre. But one of those people, his name is Eric Preuve, no, Eric Preuve, I don't know, he'll tell you exactly the way to pronounce it. It is French, and Steph's not here to help me out with this. So anyway he sent me an email um, a few weeks. in fact I actually covered it on the show as feedback and he said that he and his family were out here for a few weeks and uh, or a couple of weeks uh, mostly in the West Coast and he said that he was looking at my schedule looks like uh, they're gonna be coming through Atlanta on the third of November and uh, turns out that I was just ending my trip today which is the third of November so that's awesome that's gonna work out great and uh, I've been spending the last I don't know how long maybe 45 minutes or so talking with them in the uh, a concourse and now we've moved over here to the f concourse because they're going to continue their trip We're, we're in atlanta. They started in phoenix today, and they're ending up in uh, Charles de Gaulle Paris and uh, Their flight leaves in I don't know a couple of hours whatever and I said let's get uh, let's get a recording here And uh, so we decided to come over here a little bit quieter here in the uh, the f concourse Don't you agree? Yeah, so you guys hear me all, talk all the time, you don't want to hear me anymore,
5: so let's uh, hear from Eric. Hi everyone, this is Eric, or Eric, because it's in French. Uh, I'll try to make as much sense as possible. So, uh, yes, uh, as uh, Captain Jeff said, we are here for we're at the end of the trip. It took us two weeks to go from San Francisco to, F- F- to Phoenix, then on to Atlanta and on to Paris. It was a great trip. So we saw a lot of great vistas, great scenery. And we've met with a great guy, Captain Jeff. <laughs> so basically, uh, all we've heard about him and all we've heard him t- uh, speak is true. He's a great guy very friendly and uh yeah basically we just spent uh, the last hour chatting uh he's giving us some uh, insight into the air force career he did uh, a bit of, about, about the flying and about well, everything else his family and uh, so great great time to be had i guess and, uh, well, I guess I'll leave it at that because I don't want to bore you to death. Uh, it's going to give it time to catch the flight uh, this evening. And so we'll be leaving the great country, but uh, with a lot of memories, including this one. So thank you, Captain Jeff.
1: Well, thank you. And certainly you met other people besides me on this trip, right? True. Okay. <laughs> um, and not as it's famous. very unfair. Not as famous people. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not famous. Um, and it's very unfair of, uh, Ari, to be drinking a beer in front of me. I'm in uniform. I can't have a I can't have a beer.
5: And I'm it's not IPA so it doesn't count. Ah, uh,
1: that's true. But even even if I weren't in uniform, technically I shouldn't be drinking beer because I'm on a low carb diet sort of. I'm not doing very well with that though. Um, would anybody else uh, in your family like to say anything to the uh, APG crew or the uh, community? No? How about Paul? You want to say anything Paul? No? Okay shy family anyway lovely family by the way and uh eric is uh, is a, a very blessed person and uh and we're blessed to have people like you in our community so thanks for uh letting me do a little recording
5: thank you and goodbye
1: all right so there you have it um great time as i mentioned great family and um i hope they had a wonderful flight back to charles de gaulle in france and oh by the way um I've officially given up on On your beer. uh, (laughs) I'm just going to try to not eat eat as much and exercise more. And, you know,
2: it's it's really just the exercise. If you can exercise more, I think you'll be. Yeah.
1: I know. That's the hard part for me. Yeah.
2: Well, I'll send you reminders.
1: Oh, good.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I I think it's more the eating than the exercise.
2: Well, I think Uh, it depends on.
4: I work out all the time. The person.
3: Let's let's just say a good balance. Yes. Yeah.
2: Everything in moderation.
1: All right. Uh, Anything else before?
2: Yes. Yes. I've got one more thing before we go on to the news and before I have to leave here very Mm -hmm. soon. Oh, Um, yeah. yeah. But we need to talk about episode 300. This is 297. Is it not? So. Yes. Episode 300 is going to be on Saturday, November 25th in the Atlanta area. And Dana is graciously hosting so if you are anywhere near the Atlanta area on November 25th, and you would like to join us for episode 300, um, what you need to do is you have to send us an email, send it to 300, that's the letter, the numbers, not the letters, 300 at airlinepilotguy.com. I'll <laughs> get it right. Pie.
4: pie. We <laughs> like I pie. have food. On my,
2: I have Thanksgiving food on my mind, obviously, because <laughs> there better be pie there, Dana. That's all I have to say.
4: Oh, really?
1: 300 at pumpkinpie.com.
2: So send an email to 300 at airlinepilotguy.com. And we will take down your RSVP. And we will be at some point sending back details on the exact location. And the start time is going to be roughly 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, We plan on recording a show roughly around noon. You know how we are. So that's give or take two hours. (laughs) At Least and um, after that, we're going to just have a meetup, and Dana's going to be cooking some wonderful barbecue. Um, there will be plenty to drink, I am sure. And I guess I'm bringing pie now, so.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> almost certainly.
2: Uh, but yeah, I just want to make sure that was out there. So, again, 300 at airlinepilotguy.com, or yeah, is that right? Yeah, 300.
4: Okay, yeah. yeah. Three zero zero. I and I promise it won't be, I well, I may have some leftover turkey, maybe, but I'm not going to do turkey. Well, I'm I think everyone might
2: be turkeyed out at that point because it yeah. is right after Thanksgiving.
4: Exactly. So, so I'm going to, I'm you, planning on doing probably ribs and a pulled pork butt and whatever else it's said to me. So I won't have guess. had
3: any turkey because I would have, won't have done Thanksgiving. Well, not
4: actually, it. Nick, if you get here on Thursday, you will be doing Thanksgiving.
3: Oh, okay. Well, hey, wow. There you go. There's an offer. Mm
4: -hmm. So uh, I don't know whether it's going to be here at the house or whether it's going to be going out, but uh, at at some point you will be having some part of Thanksgiving because you've probably, uh, well, you probably have in hotels when you've been over here in the States, but you probably haven't been with friends and family. No, but other than
3: my brother in Canada, and they do it on a different day, I think, don't they? Yes. It's a different month entirely.
2: It was last Mm -hmm. month, I think.
3: Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. But similar idea. So.
4: Yeah, I'm looking forward to hosting everybody. I uh, I just need a uh, fairly accurate count, so if you're planning on attending at all, uh, please, uh, please do send in that email. Um, and if anybody needs any uh, um, help with uh, accommodations in the area, I certainly know the area real well, so don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'll be happy to um, give you recommendations as to... Uh, <laughs> they just put up a picture of barbecue, if, barbecue. No, if people are not watching the video but it's that's making me hungry now thank you <laughs> uh, i think I, after i spent the entire weekend this past weekend prepping i, I did the practice around a lot of stuff so um, it came out fantastic by the way so yeah Absolutely. any anybody needs any help or suggestions please don't hesitate to let me know and and look forward to having a meet up and there is no uh, there's no time frame it's, you know once the only time frame is going to be recording the show after that, people are welcome to stay as long as they wish for plenty of places for people to pass out and uh, or and or just hang out. We're, we're looking forward to a fun evening all the way through. So,
2: And I know uh, quite a few of you or several of you at least have already RSVP'd to that email address. Um, I don't think we've sent any details to all of you yet. Don't worry. We have those emails and we will be getting that information out to you. So I
1: think. All right. Who's going to give that information to him? I don't. Yeah, know. somebody will do it. Maybe somebody will do it eventually. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Um, let's get on with the, uh, oh wait, one more thing before we do the coffee fund, uh, today leaving Augusta, uh, on the way to Atlanta this morning, uh, climbing out and before handing off to, uh, Atlanta center, um, the approach controller, uh, in Augusta, Augusta approach control said is the uh, airline pilot guy on board today (laughs) and again my first officer kind of goes like huh what What is he talking about i said oh i got this (laughs) yeah here i am here and it was uh zach zach uh ZB, zb bravo uh initials uh the approach controller and he said he's been listening to the show and he loves it so i just wanted to send out a shout out to uh zach for uh for saying hey
3: uh, so good man to say. Hey back. I am still yeah, waiting that was for fun. that nice guy from uh, um, uh, Moncton um who said he listens to the show, uh to pipe up and say hello one day when I go sailing through, but he hasn't done yet, so That's you, Oh.
4: That's because you all you Brits sound alike. Uh,
3: oh, is that right?
4: <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I just <laughs> okay. but you know. Yeah, here you go. <laughs>
1: yeah you, you never know when it when it hits it's like it catches you off guard he's like excellent
4: <laughs> well you know he, he's always probably listening for acme red
1: yes
3: he probably
4: is mm. yeah <laughs>
3: you'll have to
4: wait a long time
1: <laughs> all right let's move on with the coffee fund here we go
0: johnny how much more coffee no thanks uh,
1: I love coffee, I love tea, I love the Java jive and it loves me,
3: coffee
1: and tea and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, cup, cup. I don't know why I decided to go high that time, anyway, it's always good to go high, right, the coffee fund, your way to support the Airline Pilot Guy show in a financial way. Uh, information about how you can do that. AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You can become part of the Coffee Fund cadre. And since the last episode, we have a couple of folks that use the Coffee Fund Classic method via PayPal, uh, where you can donate uh, once or a recurring payment. And uh, Jeff Moeller is one of those who does a recurring payment. So thank you, Jeff Moeller, for that. Jeff and Anissa. And we got a one-time donation from Mazus, Karim, M-A-H-Z-U-Z, Mazuts, Karim. Probably butchered the heck out of that one, but thank you, sir, for your very generous contribution to the Coffee Fund. Welcome to the Coffee Fund cadre. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash airlinepilotguy. Again, information in the uh, Airline Pilot Guy website. And since the last show, we have a new producer. His name... Is Dave Willis. Thank you, Dave, for becoming a patron of the show. Again, if you want to join us on the Coffee Fund cadre, head over to Coffee no, AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. And every week we get together as a group of folks and we sing the Java Jive. Not really, but I do. I get to sing it every week. It's fun. <laughs> Taking it slow. Waiter, waiter, percolator. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java. The Java, it loves me. Coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. A cup. Oh.
6: I by for years.
1: Okay, this is kind of a, an aviation story and a technology story. An interesting one, I think. Um, an enraged woman forced an airliner to make an emergency landing in Chennai after she discovered mid-flight that her husband was apparently cheating on her. The woman, an Iranian national, was traveling, traveling from Doha to Bali with her husband and child on a Qatar, or Qatar Airways flight on Sunday, the Hindustan Times reported. As her husband slept, she used his finger to unlock his fingerprint-protected phone, revealing the alleged affair in all its sordid detail. Angered by the discovery, the woman reportedly started to hit her husband. The cabin crew intervened but were unable to calm her down. With the in-flight episode spiraling out of control, the pilots decided to make an unscheduled stop in Chennai. The woman, her husband, and their child were taken off the plane, which then resumed its journey to Indonesia, an unnamed security official told the paper. The family spent the day at Chennai Airport and was sent to Kuala Lumpur by a Batik Air flight. No police action was taken. What do you think of that one?
2: So the only thing I could think of when I first saw this story was, (laughs) you know, it's one thing to have the fingerprint recognition to unlock your phone, now that these new iPhones and other, I think some other phones have the facial recognition, it just makes it all that much easier. If whoever you're with falls asleep, you just lift up their phone, you scan their face and open the phone and there you go. All their, all their details. So yep. I just now, had to laugh when I, um, I read this story
1: mostly. And, and I was thinking the same thing. I, I listened to some tech shows and they were talking about um, the, uh, the new iPhone 10 with the facial recognition, there is a feature or a setting in there that you can use you can turn for it more security where yep. you have to have to, to turn it on. Uh, you have to have to actually be actively gazing at the phone, not just passively. So right. if you were sleeping, then it wouldn't work because you'd, it actually has to see that your eyeballs are looking at it. And I guess there must be some movement or something there. And then, of course, of course as Steph just said, uh, you can turn the feature off completely uh, to be more secure. And I think there's also a way with the iPhone 10 that you can squeeze it for a certain number of seconds from oh. both sides. And then that temporarily dis um, uh, turns off the uh, facial recognition Like a little system. hug for your phone. Like a hug.
2: That's sweet. Something
3: like that. Well, I must that, admit, uh, if I was keeping state secrets on my phone, I certainly wouldn't have activated or allowed the fingerprint thing to still be there. <laughs> I'd have it yeah. triple locked yes right so more
4: full a of him. password
2: that changes frequently but i or perhaps she, uh,
4: maybe not
6: um, you
3: know. perhaps
4: maybe delete the evidence well obviously how about, better not how to, about just
3: not doing it yeah to i was with. gonna say yeah Jeff, yeah well, i don't I know yeah. why Probably we're just being a good husband <laughs> But I have to take yep. my hat off to his wife for being uh, smart enough to work out how to get into his phone, and uh, she was obviously suspicious. But uh, Yeah, there had to be more to exactly the Exactly right. Now, I have to say, if uh, if it was on one of my flights, uh, we've got a, a very angry wife and a husband, so I'd like just split them up and put uh, one of them at one end of the cabin and the other end of the cabin and say, right, you two, you sort it out when you're on the ground, we're going to carry on to Destination. Uh, Why they thought they had to divert because of one angry uh, and upset wife, Uh, I'm really not sure. So there might have been a bit more to it than we've heard. But, yeah, I mean, I I was a bit surprised the cabin crew couldn't really get a grip on this one. Well,
1: me too. Me too. Because that's a major disruption, uh, diverting a huge cost.
3: And uh, I mean, it's a lot simpler sometimes for the cabin crew to go, go, oh, we can't cope. Just divert. But actually, it's a lot more hassle than you can possibly imagine when you have to do that. Yep. Hmm.
0: Mm.
3: Anyway, I thought that wasn't. Uh, I think it's a lovely. Might one. be of an
1: interest to uh, you know, not your normal story. And uh, so, if you're out there cheating on your spouse, uh, think about you know. Not cheating on your spouse. Not cheating. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That is the correct
2: answer, Captain Nick Anderson. (laughs) Don't do it, but if you
1: must, you know. (laughs) Ding, ding. Yes. (laughs) Am I supposed to be doing this? Yes. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) I get the hint. Eventually. Okay. Uh, Moving on. This one uh, in the well, basically the same part of the world. A Pakistani uh, international, Pakistan International Airlines (PIA) flight from Abu Dhabi landed at Lahore. And the airline staffers offered passengers to facilitate them by taking them to their desired destination by a bus, reports Geo News. However, the passengers have turned down the Pakistan International Airlines offer and refused to leave the plane. So I guess uh, I should probably read that first sentence here that gives us more context. They, were, um, they had to land in Lahore due to low visibility uh, at their destination airport, apparently. And uh, then they asked the passengers, passengers on board to get off the airplane and get on a bus to travel to their final destination. According to reports reacting over the passengers' refusal, the airline staffers switched off the
3: plane's <laughs> air conditioning <laughs> this, system. This I love <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, now if, you, if you're going know sh- how to get them off the plane, <laughs> yeah, that's Just. right. Next thing we're going to try is the mustard gas. <laughs> and maybe tasers. Yeah, or something. <laughs> exactly. Oh, heavens <goodness> forbid. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I guess the uh, passengers were not having any of that. I, apparently now here's the reason why, well, you'd think, well, what's so, uh, you know, what's wrong with getting on a bus and, and continuing our travel? Well, this it says it's like eight to nine hours <laughs> yeah, that's, drive. On a bus.
3: That's pretty much <laughs> on a bus.
1: Yeah. And they, they were, you know, rightfully a little upset about the fact that, uh, they couldn't just continue to the destination or at least get some somewhere close to the destination. And uh, so I don't, I think, again, this is one of those things where there's probably uh, much more information here that we don't know about. Uh, You know, we don't actually know what the uh, conditions were at the airport at the time of this flight. And uh, perhaps the uh, flight crew didn't do a good job of explaining why they couldn't land at the destination. And uh, obviously they weren't being very, um, uh, I don't know successful in their attempts to get the people off the airplane uh, but you know turning off the plane's air conditioning system to suffocate people on the plane <laughs> I know that's what they say here in the in the article suffocate what they mean I guess is that you know it's going to get really hot they're just gonna but...
2: make it uncomfortable yes. yeah they're very uncomfortable.
3: uncomfortable and they have some miners uh, on board so I mean you want to watch out for those miners they're tough guys
1: Yeah, that's true. The ones like the coal miners.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those those guys from Alaska as well. (laughs) You've got to be careful of them. Yeah, so uh,
1: another one of those, uh, you know, news of the strange. I thought that was kind of uh, an interesting
3: story. It is brilliant. Um, Yeah, not handled in the best way for sure. Yeah. Having said that, I had to dump some very unfortunate passengers at Boston when I was trying to get to JFK. And uh, we'd been delayed out of London. And by the time we eventually diverted to Boston, uh, we were out of duty hours. There was no crew at Boston to fly our aircraft on. So um, they bussed the passengers from Boston to New York, which I did not envy them. Mm. As I said to the, um, oh, excuse me, that's uh, dog's bedtime. As I said to the ground (laughs) staff, how are the passengers taking it? And I was told, oh, there are a few screamers. (laughs) <laughs>
1: Great. <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: Lovely. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah.
1: That's not exactly where you want to hear. No. Start. Exactly not. All right. And finally, this piece of sad news. Um a major league baseball hero. Uh well, not hero, but he a, a double saw young award winner, uh, major league baseball pitcher, uh, his name Roy Halliday, who uh used to uh, pitch for the Philadelphia Phillies and the Toronto Blue Jays, I believe. Is that the other team that he was? Yes, it was
2: Blue Jays first and then the Phillies after that until 2013.
1: So he won uh, Saw Youngs with both teams and uh, had a a great career. And uh, it was rumored that he would be um, entering the Baseball uh, Hall of Fame uh, soon. Uh, And perhaps he still will. Uh, But uh, he is no longer with us because he was flying his brand new Icon A5, uh, and a, a light sport aircraft, uh, amphibious airplane, which I love this airplane and, uh, would love to have one myself someday. Um, but they haven't had a good track record, uh, this year. Uh, but, uh, to be fair, it looks like the, uh, uh, the crash that happened earlier, uh, this year was due to pilot error. Uh, a couple of the officials of the company were flying the airplane in, um, at Lake Berryessa, up in Northern California, near where their headquarters are, and uh, they ended up uh, flying into a, a box canyon and uh, ran out of uh, airspeed and altitude and ideas. Uh, there, they got they couldn't turn around, and they ended up uh, crashing into terrain. Into terrain on that one. This one, um, at first, when I first saw the story, uh, they said that uh, Roy was uh, alone in the airplane. Uh, just off uh, shore uh, off the um, uh, just north of Clearwater.
2: Clearwater um, St. Pete area Yeah,
1: that area uh, in the Gulf Coast uh, off of the Florida West Gulf Coast uh, about a quarter of a mile uh, flying low over the water and uh, there were some witnesses that saw him crash and uh, they uh, confirmed that it was him. Uh, He was by himself and he died in the crash and then Was it just this morning or late last night? Uh, I was starting to see some more information and some video taken from some witnesses that showed him doing some aerobatic type maneuvers in the airplane and going up really high and then swooping down really low, you know, five feet off the water and doing this repeatedly over and over again. And uh, apparently uh, the last time he swooped down low, it was too low and he crashed into the water. Of course, they uh, the National Transportation Safety Board is uh, investigating, and they'll have more details about the crash uh, at some point. But uh, it certainly does look now like it was another, uh, not a mechanical error uh, on the uh, aircraft, but uh, a uh, an operator error. Um, and uh, interestingly, I, I looked uh, shortly after I saw the story. I went to the uh, Icon uh, site the uh, the website. Uh, to see if uh, they had uh, put anything in there about uh, this recent uh, tragedy. And uh, at that point, they had not. But I did notice that just a, a couple of weeks ago, they put out um, a, uh, what is this called, a um, guidelines, ICON Aircraft Low Altitude Flying Guidelines uh, by the uh, the founder and CEO, Kirk Hawkins. And he puts out a, um, talks about uh, in this uh, posting that they're going to put be putting out uh, or sending customers uh, some guidelines for uh, low-altitude flying. And uh, so I thought that that was kind of um, almost ironic that this just came out a couple of weeks ago and obviously that they were concerned about, um, you know, the safety of people doing, you know, some interesting maneuvering close to the ground or close to the water.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like anything, it's... You have to wait for the final uh, information on all of this, but I think there's been plenty of eyewitness accounts that kind of confirm what was going on. And there's been at least some video, although it's kind of distant. um, You know, it's not the greatest... uh, It wasn't someone who was very close to what he was doing, but you kind of get a sense of what was going on here. And, you know, it's just... It's stuff that we talk about a lot. It's, It's just sad that tragedies like this happen and occur because... Uh, a lot of them potentially are preventable, I think, you know, it's just how you choose to go out and enjoy recreational flying. Um, you have to be conscientious about how you're flying, where you're flying. You have to maintain that situational awareness so that you're not, uh, you know, in the case of the earlier A5 crash, uh, you know, in a, in a box Canyon, um, you know, those were guys who knew that area very well and somehow it still happened to them. Um, you know, Halliday was a a relatively new pilot, but had accumulated quite a bit of experience just in the last few years in terms of training and other things. Um, so it wasn't like he didn't have the training to know what he was doing in these situations. And you just always have to be on your guard and, and make good decisions. So
3: as we in the military used to say, Steph, we used to assess all our weapons with a PK number which is the probability of kill. So mm-hmm. uh, we used to say, well, a really good missile might have a 0.9, uh, um, not so good missile, 0.8 PK. Um, a thousand pounder if a guy's in a foxhole, down a 0.7, and it used to reduce. But one thing we used to say was the ground had a PK of one. That You couldn't get better sure. than that.
1: <laughs> yep. Ground is always going to win. Exactly right.
4: You know, it's uh, no matter – no matter how uh, how well trained you are or how much experience you have, you know, the thing that we all fight, especially in the airline business, is this thing called complacency. We become complacent with our abilities to fly an airplane, to handle all situations. Um, and we, in the general aviation world, um, you know, you have a lot more opportunity to take risks and certainly if you're not prepared and think that you're, you know, well-trained and, and can handle any situation. Um, this is another example of, of could potentially, I, I, you know, we, as Steph said, we don't know the outcome um, and what was the, fi- you know, is the final result of the, the crash. But we, you know, we've lost, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy Jr. Then we lost the, uh, the. uh Ball player up in New York that on the East River with a flight instructor in in the airplane, and that's just a couple of them that I can recall off the top of my head. Um, you know, it, it, whether you're a professional aviator or whether you're a general aviation aviator, complacency and not being familiar with what you're what you're putting the airplane through and what your capabilities are, um, it becomes an issue. So, the what best way to uh, fight complacency is recognize the issue. Uh, put a plan into place to uh, effectively m- mitigate the issue, and always be aware of what your limitations are, and don't try to exceed them. And if you do, if you if you uh, go w- uh, about your flying with a me- methodical way of doing it, just like we do in the airline business, and that is, we have set procedures, set checklists that we try to use to mit- mitigate um, those uh, potential threats. Uh, then you're, you're going to find that you're, you're more than likely going to be a much safer pilot um, than just assuming that you can handle any situation. And I I feel terrible for the the Halliday family. I feel terrible for the sport of baseball. I feel terrible for, for Roy himself. Um, and I think the, the manufacturer is probably going to get a lot of bad press on this too, d- despite it not really being their fault. So, yeah. Um, it's just a continuation of the, of the realization. Just look when I get on a motorcycle, I don't get on my motorcycle. You know, you get the, the the people on the road that go on their motorcycle on their, what we call effectively call metrics that make no noise. You know, doing one hundred and twenty 130 miles an hour down the highway. Next thing you know, they're on top of you. They're, they're taking a calculated risk that uh, they're they're playing with their lives. Where is you know as a uh, a little bit more mature and, 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 more responsible, most like a rider. I, I understand my risks and I get on the road and I don't go 150 miles an hour and I don't take unnecessary risks. So that's the same thing in aviation. So if, if you, if you mitigate the, the, the threats, then your, your chance of, of successful uh, flying career uh, is much better.
2: Oh, yeah, I agree a hundred
1: percent. Well, Steph. Yes. I know you can't stay with us. The no, I have show?
2: to, I have to head out. I'm sorry. It's a early evening for me here on the show, but I will definitely be back next week and looking forward. I'll actually, um, I'll probably be listening to the show for a little while. Got a little bit of a car ride to make here. So I'll do we'll that and I'll miss you guys too. And I'll see you next week and all the with- listeners and everyone else out there. Hope you have a fantastic week ahead.
4: And for those who can't see Dr. Seth she looks fabulous with her hair.
3: Oh, thank you, Dana.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah,
0: much
3: better than without it. Um, bye-bye, <laughs> Steph. All the best.
2: Bye. 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 See y'all.
3: See bye-bye. you soon. Cheers.
1: Drive safely. Will do. All right. Well, now she's going to be listening to us, so we can't talk about her.
3: Yeah. I know. She's annoying well. like that. It's not fair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah, so uh, I, I agree. I feel sorry for the um, uh, the Halliday family and friends and Roy himself and uh, Icon. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the company, you know, obviously knew uh, that um, there, there may be some potential problems uh, with their airplane, not problems with their airplane, but problems with people flying their airplane. And uh, I think they must have sensed uh, something that uh, is something that they felt strongly about addressing uh, just a little bit uh, of this um, little post by the uh, founder and CEO. Here he says, I wanted to uh, you to hear about the topic directly from me since it's near and dear to my heart for many reasons and it's the essence of sport flying and the very reason the A5 was created in the first place. As those of you who have flown the A5 can attest, it is truly a truly special aircraft that will take you places and show you the planet in a way that few airplanes can. To fully appreciate the A5's capabilities and the amazing, amazing experiences it can offer, you'll need some elements of low altitude flying. I want each of you to be as prepared as you can be for where this incredible machine can take you and the life adventures it will facilitate. So there you go. You know, acknowledging the fact that uh, with this airplane, you're going to be in uh, situations where you're going to be flying low. And that's kind of like, yeah, that's kind of the point of the airplane sort of, you know, is, is having this kind of a thrill, but you have to, as Dana just uh, mentioned, you have to know what you're, your capabilities are and what your limitations are and you have to be you can't get complacent and uh, you have to always realize that you're operating in a very uh, um a more uh, dangerous environment than normal so you have to be uh, cognizant of all that
3: i think that's important jeff you have to accept the risks there are risks if you're going to do that type of flying yep
1: all right well um that's it, all I had for the news section of the show. Unless anybody has anything else, we, uh, we'll move on to the best part of the show, which, of course, is our listener feedback. woo
7: Captain, incoming message.
1: All right, let's start with the first one in the mailbag, and this is from Liz. She sent this in um, well, a little while ago. Uh, this is from the bbc.com. Um, the first commercial or the first scheduled commercial airline service to the remote British island of St. Is it Saint Helena or
3: Saint Helena? Well, I I would have said Helena, but I'm not an expert on Saint Helena. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs>
1: very, very good. So St. Helena, St. Helena. Um, uh, maybe Liz can, uh, give us the pronunciation. I think she's with us in the chat room right now. Um, anyway, a, a remote British Island in the South Atlantic. Um, and you know, we, we talked about this, I believe at some point last year where they were, uh, there was a story about the fact that they had built this airport there and they were having some issues with uh, getting it certified because of the, uh, kind of squirrely winds that, uh, that you can experience there while attempting to land and take off it. Uh, especially landing and uh, you know, they weren't really sure that this was going to work out, but apparently they've done more testing and they have finally, uh, it has finally received blessing from whatever regulatory agency uh, so that they uh, actually opened up the airport. And uh, I guess the, the first flight was done by SA Airlink service from South Africa and it ends the islands longstanding reliance on a ship, which sailed every three weeks it's hoped that the service funded by the UK, the service funded by the UK. So, if you're listening out there and you're a citizen of the UK, I guess your tax dollars are funding this. Oh yes, will boost tourism and help make Saint Helena, Saint Helena, more self-sufficient. But British media have dubbed it quote the most useless airport
3: in the world. <laughs> Yeah, so, it's uh, sad, isn't it? I think initially they just, um, you know, flew up. I'm trying to remember, I think it might have been British Airways. They flew some aircraft in and uh, they really did struggle, um, whether it was just the weather on the day or they anticipated big problems. Uh, when you look at it, it's got a nasty drop off on the end of one runway. There's a very high ground to one side of it. So you're going to suffer a lot from turbulence from the high ground and from. Uh, Um, problems in the flare uh, as you come over that uh, ridge just before the um, threshold. Uh, So it's never going to be easy. But heaven's sakes, uh, there are plenty more airports around the world that probably suffer from worse problems. Uh, But I think everyone was being overcautious, and they they sat on, didn't really allow any aircraft to go in there other than private aircraft. God heavens, it cost uh, $380 million to build it. Um, so, you know, it was a great, uh, thing to build for the Islanders, but, uh, not then not to have a scheduled service was, uh, just, <laughs> oh God. Uh, just awful. So they've kept this old boat going back and forth. I think it was provided by the post office or something to deliver the letters and other stuff that they, the islanders needed. And a lot of them had invested a lot of money thinking, well, this island with an airport could actually become a, you know, a nice little quiet tourist trap. So we'll build uh, hotels and perhaps I'll put an extra room in my house and uh, we'll build extra shops and things to service those tourists. who of course, never came. So it's actually very nice to see that they've uh, reviewed the situation and they're now uh, letting aircraft uh, t- to fly in there regularly. I a bit like um, Gibraltar. I think it'll be a very difficult airport. It'll probably require um, a little bit of special training for guys before they uh, get allowed to uh, make approaches there. But I think it's you know it's a perfectly serviceable airport. I think it's such a shame that it. Was given uh, a um, you know a big red cross on it when it first was built, and it's only now they've decided that it's okay to fly that.
1: According to Lane in the chat room, he says that it's St Helena, and
3: yeah, uh, I, I, um, I knew that, but I was just and, I was just joking oh, okay. you. <laughs> ah, okay,
1: well you know we we have a um, uh, the state capital of Montana is Helena, and so I thought okay, isn't that I can Montana see it, it go either way?
3: Isn't that uh, in Montana? temple mm-hmm. of Montana.
1: Montana, yes. Yeah, that's
3: just what I thought. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, of course it goes to, it's got a lot of history when uh, Napoleon Bonaparte was uh, exiled there. So I don't know if you can go and see Boney's Bones. He didn't die there, I don't think, but uh, he might have buried some treasure there. So, you know, get on a flight there as soon as you can. You've got to go a long way to get there though. You could it's like you've got to fly all the way down to South Africa, and then you've got to get on a a shorter range flight to get across there so i don't think it's going to be perhaps the most popular destination in the world
1: but apparently it's a little bit faster than the boat journey which took about six days according to this it uh, <laughs> yes.
3: wasn't the biggest of boats yeah
1: and it kind of reminds me of that uh, island that uh, we hear about uh, in the news every once in a while we're uh, and we see some great video footage on YouTube where people are trying to land in this crazy crosswind uh, uh, conditions at this uh, island somewhere. Um, I, do you know what I'm talking about, uh, Nick? Where they uh,
3: the one where uh, they come over the beach?
1: No, 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 no. It's um, it's much. It, it's in that area of the world. Ah, um, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure somebody will know what I'm talking about in the... Uh, well,
3: there is one the where the the, the the runway seems to be in a bit of a bowl and they have to come over a ridge and then they descend very fast and it's a very short runway. And there, I've seen one picture of an aircraft that lands deep and then runs off the end into a beach, if that's the place you think of. But I can't remember uh, the name of it.
1: Now, Jazz is the one. The one that I'm talking about is uh, Madeira. Oh, have
3: some Madeira, Madeira. Funchal.
1: Uh, Madeira, it's one of the uh, Portuguese islands, right?
3: Yes, it is. Yes, Madeira is a very nice uh, fortified wine. Yes, I know that for sure. mm, Yum, 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 yum.
1: Yeah. So um, anyway, so it sounds like this kind of
3: You can't drink Schiphol, Rebecca, and you definitely can't drink a (laughs) Funchal. Funchal? Yes. Anyway, yeah, no, it was Madeira, quite right. Okay, that's the one I was thinking about. Thank you, everybody, in
1: the chat room. All right, let's move on with some more feedback. Um, you are you doing okay, uh, Captain Nick?
3: Uh, I don't know. I think I'm in zombie land right now. Okay, <laughs> good, good. Keep going. All right, uh, let's see. Justin sent
1: some feedback. He says, hey, Captain Jeff and crew, <clears throat> had a great Aviation Week experience that I wanted to share with you all. And so he sent us some audio feedback. I need to get some liquid in my throat. But uh, in the meantime, let's hear from Justin.
6: AAPG crew, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, Hey, this is uh, Captain Justin Sparks, Fire Department Captain Sparks from Indianapolis, Indiana, with a quick like APG syndrome slash headbanger Airbus Boeing fiasco of a week story for you. So uh, last week, my three daughters uh, went to Disney with my parents from Indian from Indiana, actually from Fort Wayne, um, and my dad got tickets for my kids and them to fly down to Orlando on Allegiant Airlines on the MD eighty three was this scheduled aircraft for it and uh, aviation buff aviation lover apg syndrome sufferer i was just mortified by the prospect of my dad my dad's an expat who lives in china and works in china and lives in china most of the time and flies constantly and he's like you know justin i got these uh tickets and it was a third of the price to fly on Allegiant. We're flying the uh, MD-80 series. We're going down to Orlando and it was literally like a third of the price of flying one of the, le- the legacy carriers. And I was like, well, that, that's cool dad. It's because their air crews unfortunately aren't paid very well and their maintenance staff and their maintenance history has not been very good, especially with this aircraft. So I'm, like, trying to talk to my dad about the incidents in Las Vegas where we've had the situations where the aircraft were pitching up before V1, those type of things. And, like, I am just petrified that my kids are going through this so like legitimately i've got my oldest daughter my mother uh she has uh some disease process just through time where she's not going to be able to evacuate a kid so like legitimately i'm talking to my oldest kid if something bad happens on this airplane hey you're going to follow papa papa's going to take one of the kids you're going to take another kid put them between you and you're here's where the exits are on this airplane and you guys are going to get out okay and she's like, all right, Dad, I got this covered. Now, mind you, my ten-year-old flies a 172 at our uh, local uh, FBO, and you know she's she's good, she's smart, and she was just kind of looking at me. So we literally pulled up the uh, Acme nut and uh, you know the screw issue with Alaska airlines. We talk about these things. So I had this terrible issue, like fear of my kids getting on this low-cost air, airliner and flying. Now, like the episode, APG episode before. There was this talk about uh, the Fedex, and Captain Jeff was talking about how on his aircraft, there's actually like legitimate linkage from your inputs on the throttle down to the fuel control valves back to your airplane, and the you know the airplane's going to go. And you legi- legitimately, Captain Jeff, you talked about you know which one's safer, and I'm like, you know, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. So my kids, they flew, flew out the day before, and they get on this airplane, they fly down there, they're on time, they arrive on time, and life is great. Well, my wife and I had this opportunity, like six days of no, none of our three children. We love our children, but we don't get a lot of time off. So they went from Indiana down to Florida, and we planned a trip out to California, out to San Francisco, go up and down Highway 1, check things out, something my wife has never seen before. And it was going to be kind of a cool thing. So we booked with this legacy carrier, um, United, United Bay, that's what we'll call it. Um, and uh, it was like the first leg, Indianapolis to Denver, 737-800. And then like my dream, uh, the Boeing 787. I literally have shirts to have Boeing literally on my desk where I'm making this thing. I had the little propeller prop that's engraved on Boeing. I've always been an, of the person who said, if it, it's not Boeing, I'm not going. Yeah, I'm that guy. So the first leg is great. We get to Denver. We get on the 787. I'm looking around at this airplane, and what a beautiful piece of kit. That one's for you, uh, Captain Nick. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at this thing, and it's just gorgeous. There's no shades. It's all auto-tinted. It's beautiful. So they push us back from the gate. Left engine starts great. Uh, the right engine, they start through the ignition process. There's a couple clicks, a couple thumps that just don't seem right. And then the right engine's quiet. So we sit there for a little while, they try it again, same thing happens, and then they push us back to the gate. The captain comes on and says, we've had a technical issue with the engine, we're going to have some people come out and look at it. That's cool, right? So my kids flew on a legitimate scheduled MD-83. I haven't looked up the number to see when it was manufactured, but it was likely manufactured before I was born and I'm um, late 30s so it, that that's not an inaccurate statement so you know i'm petrified that my kids are getting this old airplane that that's not going to go well i'm scheduled on these beautiful brand new airplanes and i'm on like the most technologically advanced boeing aircraft there is 787 and the extent of my journey on this across six and a half hours was seven feet to push back from the gate sit there and seven feet to push back to the gate and my aircraft was due to go from San Francisco to Shanghai, so they were like, you're gonna, go. you're gonna go, you're gonna go, you're gonna go, you're gonna go. Well, guess what we didn't do? We didn't go. We didn't go, we didn't go, we didn't go, we didn't go. So eventually, it was going to kill our vacation, so I got us on another flight, a late night flight. So we lose a whole day on our trip, and we eventually end up on a 777-200. Uh, and I, I love the 777, I think it's a beautiful airplane, its safety record is, you know, beautiful, right? But I, I'm sitting on this 787, this beautiful airplane, and on this 777, and it literally felt like I was on a cattle car because it was a regularly scheduled flight. But now we have the 293 people that were supposed to be on this 787 trying to get seats, and it was literally wall-to-wall standing. It felt like a Ryanair flight going across the pond. So our flight back was originally scheduled for a 737-900. Uh, I literally had my Boeing pullover on to go over my shirt, because I was proud of the fact that we were flying Boeing airplanes. And then, like, they switched to an Airbus, Airbus A319 from San Francisco direct to Indianapolis on the way back. And, uh, you know, I never in my life, Captain Nick, was I was like, you know what? Thank God I'm on an Airbus because at least I know I'm going to get there. And that was just a head scratcher for me. So... In light, Captain Jeff, you were completely right when you said those uh, maybe those older airplanes that actually are directly connected with those uh, cables and stuff. Maybe there is something a place for that besides the FedEx and the things we have in the modern airlines. So cool little story I want to share with you. Thank you so much for listening. This is Captain Sparks from Indianapolis. Thank you so much for talking, and we'll catch you later. Safe flying, everybody.
1: Well, Justin, I think you made... Someone on the crew, very, very happy. I love that story. That is so
3: good. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, I quite agree. If uh, you're on a Boeing, you ain't going. So, oh, wait, who uh,
1: makes uh, those engines again?
3: That uh, There the, were the, the trouble with the uh, 787. Well, I do know. Boeing chose them. So, uh, who are we going to oh, no, blame? But what, what, what company was that again? Boeing uh, slapped their logo a on it. British company? So, uh, you know, it's a, it's <laughs> a Boeing. Uh, Rolls Royce, I believe. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, uh, you can get other engines. Other engines are available. Uh, I Boeing, think the ones that are uh, flying with the other engines are doing all right. Oh, oh really? Okay. Anyway, those Boeings, <laughs> they're terrible, aren't they? And those 777s, they're even worse when they're full of passengers. Now, you know, I can uh, eject you from this. You could try. We all know why you did
1: it. All right. Well, um, thank you. Justin?
3: Yeah, Justin, you're not, for, uh, right now my new best friend. The
1: feedback. All right, let's move on. Martin uh, writes in, Howdy, APG crew. I am missing the rickets. He says somebody had to say it. But you know what? If you're missing them, why don't I play them? Well, I don't see them. Never mind. Well,
3: they're, play them. they're probably three pages away now. They've been...
1: Yeah. Oh, hang on. I'm going to play them anyway. Even if it takes me 10 minutes to find, I'm going to do it. Okay, do you want me to sing a song? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I know the song the kind of songs that you sing. Oh, damn. And I uh Well I you've don't heard of
3: Ann Burns then.
1: Uh, okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Uh that was for you, Captain Nick, and uh, here is uh for Martin. There you go. I know it's not the same without uh Miami Rick talking in the background. Okay, uh, let's see. Martin again uh, sending this. The uh, Martin here, the UAA, UAV test pilot from Sweden, who is now back home in Austria, just found a very interesting information about automation. Check it out. It was written in German, but I send you a quick and dirty Google translate of the article. Okay, so right off the bat here, know that this was originally written in written in German, and it's a translation from Google translate so it may not be super accurate the aircraft maker boeing has announced that it intends to start the first attempts with self-propelled jets i think they mean self-piloted jets Yeah,
3: because i think most jets are self-propelled aren't they unless they're being towed around the sky by some magical force we didn't know about exactly the company wants to develop aircraft that are able to
1: manage without human input as the independent reports today's Passenger engines are only affected by minimal human interventions during takeoff, landing, and under good conditions even during the flight. Boeing wants to take the concept a step further and build airplanes that do not need pilots anymore. Decisions are to be made in such machines by systems equipped with artificial intelligence. (laughs) Good luck with that. Um, the, The article goes on, too few pilots. When I look to the future... I see the need for some 41,000 commercial aircraft over the next 20 years, which would mean that we need about 617,000 additional pilots, which is quite a lot, <laughs> said Mike Sinnott, Boeing's vice president for product development, as opposed to Reuters. Now, I don't, Again, that's a bad translation. I think that was from Reuters. Uh, corresponding systems will be tested in simulators this summer. First test flights in reality are scheduled for 2018. The competitor Airbus is also experimenting with self-propelled systems. But for the time being, it is based on autonomous flying cars that can transport only one person at a time. In other words, just kill one person at a time when they crash.
5: <laughs> no, yeah.
1: I
3: added that to the article. What about the person <laughs> on the ground underneath them? Yeah, there might be some more <laughs> collateral damage.
4: <laughs> it, not, not to get off topic here, but wasn't there just a uh, self-driving uh, van? I think it was in Vegas that got into a, a car wreck.
1: That uh, could be. Yeah, it was. Uh... Yeah, they've been having all kinds of issues with the uh, land vehicles, uh, you know, autonomous. Yeah, they're they're still trying to work out the kinks with um, the two dimensions of uh, driving. Well, I guess there's probably more than two di- two dimensions, but of course, with flying, you you add a, a another uh, dimension. Although some people would argue that flying is much less constrained and constricted as far as you know routes and that kind of thing. So in a way, that that might actually be an easier nut to crack. But again, I'm skeptical.
4: I am, I am as well, yeah.
3: Yeah, but it uh, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, uh, people say that uh, one manufacturer encourages hand flying uh, in the traditional way and another one's all automated. No, they're both uh, just racing to the uh, end of the tunnel where they can get rid of the pilots, both of them, yep. uh, side by side in the race. So uh, there's, there's no good. Uh, manufacturer out there as regard uh, a long-term career in piloting, perhaps. That is that is true.
1: Um, but if you're listening to this and you're thinking you want to have a career in the uh, airline or some aviation industry that involves piloting aircraft, I think you're going to be okay for, uh, you know, these, these articles that we read on the show. I, I think that uh, the people that are proponents for this kind of thing are... Um, I don't know. I think they're over enthusiastic about the uh, time frame that all of this is going to um, happen. And uh, I'm, as I mentioned before, and as you know, if you've listened to the show, I'm very skeptical that this is, if it ever does happen, it's not going to be any time in the near future. So I think- Oh that if yeah, you're...
3: I definitely agree. One thing about the aviation industry, we're very conservative. It's going to take a long time to convince everybody.
4: Yeah, yeah. certainly for certification. I mean, that, that's- uh... Even if they come up with the, the with the, the concept and and, and and it work and they can prove it works, the certification is going to take years in in itself. So it's and then you know the buy in by the general public, uh, that's that's yep. going to be a whole other thing. I, I, as, as I've said in previous shows, I, I do see where there's a possibility where it'll become AI with a as a backup to a single pile operation where. You have one pilot up there with in case something happens they have the ability with a, uh, a remote uh, pilot on the ground to take over the aircraft in case of an emergency so i, I do see that certainly in more more in the near future than I than, than a completely autonomous airplane in in the future so that's uh, I think more realistic
1: yeah anyway call me old school and bah humbug and all that kind of stuff. But I, uh, I think these people um, I, I'm glad there are people out there dreaming, but I, I think that their, their dreams are more fantasy than reality.
4: Well, um, transporters coming too, you know that, right?
1: Well, yeah, when that happens or uh, everybody in the aviation industry is out of a job.
4: Of course, nothing wrong with dreaming. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, you know what? Um, since Nick is still with us, I think it would be uh, kind of a treat to uh, play this week's installment of Plane Tales while, while you're still here. Oh, thank this. you. that I can go to bed. <laughs> yes, I figured that you might be happy about that. Okay, <laughs> here we go.
3: The old pilot's plane tales from four to one. When flying with a new first officer, particularly one who's only recently joined the airline, it's easy to make assumptions about their skills and knowledge, but so often those generalizations prove to be completely wrong. So it was when I met and flew with Phil on a recent trip to the Caribbean. We were talking about my habit of looking for interesting flying tails, and he said he might have one for me. He kept me spellbound whilst he told the story of his flight in an Atlantic Airways Electra, Gulf Foxtrot India Zulu uniform out of London Stansted Airport on a dark night some ten years ago. It was back in March of 2007, and Phil, a 31-year-old then, had clambered into the right seat of the aged Lockheed L-188 Electra that he was due to fly that night. Phil had started his career flying air-taxis, instructing and bush-flying, but for the past four years he had been on the Electra. The aircraft was 47 years old and had considerably more age and experience than either the captain or Phil, who was the first officer and the handling pilot for their flight up to Edinburgh in Scotland. Their aircraft had started its career with KLM back in 1960, and had been christened a Neptunus, which might have been a reference to the Roman god of water and horses, or perhaps it was named after the Dutch baseball team that plays out of Rotterdam. But whatever, after a few years it was passed on to Universal Airlines, who converted it to a freighter. It happily flew junk around the States for a few years before moving to the UK via a Swedish airline, where it initially joined Hunting Cargo and then Atlantic Airlines. It was here that it nearly ended its flying career. The Electra had been developed by Lockheed and first flew in 1957. It had a high power-to-weight ratio from its four Allison turboprop engines, huge propellers, and short wings, which meant that most of the wing was covered with prop wash. This, combined with its large Fowler flaps, gave it a performance advantage unmatched by many jet transports, particularly on short runways at high elevations. It was the first large turboprop airliner built in the United States, and initial sales were good until two fatal crashes showed a design defect which required expensive modifications and no more were ordered. However, the airframe was subsequently used as the basis for the very successful P-3 Orion maritime patrol aircraft. The machine that Phil was to fly that night had something of a chequered career. It had already been the subject of an Air Accident Investigation Board report some six years earlier. Shortly after getting airborne out of Rennes in France, bound for Bordeaux, when climbing through 4,000 feet, the crew were somewhat alarmed to hear an extremely loud bang, and the aircraft started shaking violently. The aircraft quickly depressurized and, suspecting airframe damage, the captain declared a mayday and returned his shuddering beast back to Rennes for, thankfully, an uneventful ILS to land. The investigation showed that a small door, the crew emergency exit door, a mere six feet long, located within the forward cargo door, had decided to part company with its companion, never to be seen again. It appeared to have been closed but not locked, indications of which did not appear in the cockpit. The aircraft was on loan, and the crew operating it were unfamiliar with the door design and had failed to notice that it wasn't properly secured. It was approaching midnight when Phil and his captain climbed into their aircraft. They had a jump seat passenger with them, a ground engineer, who was going to do the turnaround when they got to Edinburgh. But despite having come from an earlier generation of aircraft, the Electra was capable of being operated by just two pilots. Zulu uniform was a bit of a one-off amongst the Atlantic fleet of seven Electros, being the only one fitted with Hamilton standard propellers, the same as found on the C-130 Hercules. They ran through their checks and taxed it out to runway 05 for the standard Buzzard Sierra departure. The weather wasn't great, with an 11 knot wind from the north, almost all of it across the runway, a few clouds at 100 feet and scattered clouds at 600 feet. The visibility was 5000 metres, that's about 3 miles. They were only a few thousand pounds below their maximum takeoff weight, but as Phil opened up the throttles of their four powerful Allison turboprops, he wasn't concerned. The aircraft had a lot of thrust available. Indeed, in its early life, the powerful engines exceeded the strength of the engine mounts, breaking free and causing the wings to collapse. All the aircraft had been recalled to Lockheed and strengthened at enormous cost to the manufacturer. Orders dried up, which is why only 170 were ever produced. Today, however, everything looked normal, until that was the captain called Rotate. To put this into perspective, the most critical and dangerous time for an engine failure is just after the calculated V1 speed, the point at which there is no longer enough runway left to stop the aircraft, so getting airborne is almost always the safest option. The rotate call comes shortly after V1 when flying speed has been reached. It was just after Phil started to rotate his Electra into a climbing attitude and the wheels had left the runway that all hell broke loose. There are only three axes about which an aircraft can move. It can pitch, it can roll, or it can yaw, and without any notice... Zulu Uniform began to do all three in a most violent and erratic manner, accompanied by a deafening, fluctuating, bellowing noise from the propellers. Although the instruments became almost impossible to read, since the aircraft was violently and unpredictably lurching around so much, Glancing down, the pilots could see that all the engine RPM gauges were randomly spinning up and down by about a 1,000 RPM combined with equally confusing variations in the engine horsepower and the other gauges. Despite being thrown around in the noise and confusion, Phil kept control of his bucking aircraft and managed to climb away from the ground. As they clambered up towards 2,000 feet, the ground engineer on the jump seat pointed out that both the number two and number four engines were over 1,000 degrees centigrade, the maximum for takeoff being 971. So the captain gingerly throttled them back until they came within limits, and once through the acceleration altitude, they cleaned the aircraft up. Neither the pilots nor the engineer had ever experienced nor even heard of anything like this before and whilst Phil did his best to keep the aircraft flying no mean feat considering how much the machine was throwing itself around they tried to identify the problem. As they did so they noticed that the number 2 engine propeller RPM was running down so believing it had failed they shut that engine down. Now they were down to three. They continued to climb past 3,000 feet, and the captain declared a pan, asking for an immediate return to Stansted for an ILS. Having levelled around 4,500 feet and with a safe 240 knots, they started to run some checks but with the propeller RPMs continuing to fluctuate wildly, throwing the aircraft around, the captain could hardly read the checklists. He tried to adjust the power levers to control the propeller speed variations, but it had absolutely no effect. Phil, on the other hand, was having to use all his skill to keep the aircraft vaguely on an even keel. His machine was still violently yawing from side to side, rolling and pitching so much that he was only able to stay within around 300 feet of his assigned altitude. As the prop RPMs changed, it seemed that the propellers were varying from full course giving enormous thrust to flat plates creating a huge amount of drag. It was like the aircraft was being simultaneously pulled and pushed forwards and backwards with enormous force, causing it to thrash around the sky. Whilst his first officer struggled to position the bucking aircraft downwind, the captain was trying to work the problem. He suspected that it might have something to do with the synchro phase system, which is used in the cruise to automatically match the phase of the propellers, reducing vibration and noise. But this system wasn't even turned on. He was fruitlessly struggling through his quick-reference handbook, looking for an appropriate drill to apply to their situation, but there was nothing in there that came close to what he was seeing, and even if there had been, he would have struggled to read it whilst he was being thrown about so much. Then he noticed that the number three propeller had stopped its wild gyrations and appeared to be pitch-locked, at about 14,300 rpm, well above the normal maximum. The pitch lock was an independent mechanism that engaged when the propellers exceeded their maximum rpm to prevent further decreases in the blade pitch angle. Despite the high rpm, they decided to leave the engine running until they were on short finals and then shut it down. Fighting against the high power from the number three engine, they managed to get the aircraft slowed to 190 knots by reducing the power on numbers one and four and getting some flap out. Through a gap in the clouds, Phil maneuvered the aircraft towards finals and they put the gear down. Things were looking a bit better when at seven miles the number three engine appeared to come out of pitch lock and operate normally. With the captain now flying the aircraft, they completed the landing checks and put full flap down. The aircraft slowed to their planned two-engine approach speed of 150 knots. However, just as things were looking under control, as they passed 1,000 feet, both the numbers 1 and 3 engines appeared to flame out. With the number 2 engine already shut down, were now on one engine despite bringing up the power on their last power plant the number four they started to sink into the approach lights phil recalled that he wasn't too worried at that point the approach lights are mounted on frangible posts so even though they would be short of the runway they might probably get away with it in the darkness however What he didn't see was the four-lane highway junction that they would have to get over before they reached the more benign undershoot of runway 05. The approach path indicating lights turned red as they dropped lower and lower, and with the speed decaying rapidly below 130 knots, they tried to milk everything they could out of the dying Electra. As they touched down, they left tyre marks right at the beginning of the piano keys, the white stripes marking the start of the runway, and they trundled safely down the tarmac. Vacating at a high-speed turnoff. they parked on a taxiway and waited for the fire trucks. After completing their after-landing checklist, they isolated the number one and three engines with the fire handles, and shut down the number 4 engine normally, and for the first time in some 20 minutes, a quiet calm descended on the flight deck. The Air Accident Investigation Board were informed some three days after the incident, but not one to let grass grow under the aircraft, Atlantic had already rectified the fault and returned the aircraft back to service. As such, the cockpit voice recorder had been overwritten by subsequent flights, but with the faulty synchrophaser and the flight data recorder available, the AAIB were able to determine that a burnt-out circuit board had caused the fault by shorting several connections. They pointed out that the pulling of a circuit breaker on the bus A panel would have forced the engines to revert to their basic mode But then, since the appropriate drill for multiple propeller malfunctions was somehow missing from their checklists, the pilots wouldn't have known that. So Phil and his captain went back to work. Their story went almost unnoticed until the British Airline Pilots Association got to hear of it, and realized what an amazing feat of skill the crew had displayed to safely land their aircraft in such adverse conditions near their maximum takeoff weight and on only one working engine. The well deserving pilots were rightly presented with Balper's Outstanding Airmanship Award. For those Canadian aviation enthusiasts amongst you, this venerable Electra, still with its British registration of Gulf Foxtrot India Zulu uniform, can be seen at Abbotsford International Airport near Vancouver. It's parked up and looking a bit sad, near the Conair Aviation Outfit. Love that music. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was quite appropriate, considering uh, Phil's description of the noise and violence that they were experiencing on the flight deck while they tried to fly that uh, bucking airplane. And that's beginning with a B. So, yeah,
0: definitely a bucking gotcha. airplane.
1: <laughs> that bucking airplane. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, as we always <clears> mentioned, <throat> when we record the show, we do it, uh, live and we have, uh, usually a, a live audience, a live chat room and, uh, somebody in the chat room right now, many of those who have listened to the APG over the years, uh, recognize this, uh, name, uh, Captain Richard Bell. He's with us in the chat room and he said, uh, he almost spotted the, uh, uh, the uh, the defect immediately when you were describing it, uh, Nick, and uh, I, I guess he he kind of nailed it, didn't he?
3: Exactly right. The old style synchrophases, he said, and it was a very old style of um, a controller because apparently it married um, relatively innovative, commerce modern. And when I say that, all it means was it was printed on a circuit board compared, uh, sorry, joining on to what was uh, effectively a, a valve-controlled uh, transistorized uh, circuit. And the two were sort of married together. Apparently theirs was one of the last left going in the world before um, uh, these had all been modernized. Uh, and um, they <laughs> the, um, the valve side of it, which was the one that was doing all the hiccuping after the circuit board uh, burnt out, um, was still powered. And uh, uh, Phil was saying that even if they had found that circuit breaker, he didn't think it was going to cure the problem because that valve size just had a 3-amp old-fashioned fuse on it, and you would have needed to have found that fuse and pulled it out to isolate it. But uh, they didn't have time. Uh, and the, the, even the engineer had no idea what was going on. Uh, so I could, I'm just trying to imagine what it was like. You know, you're getting up on around midnight, and uh, you, so you, you're not exactly at your best, and it's dark, and it's not a very good night. It's clouded down 100 feet, and uh, and you get airborne thinking, here we go again, you know, just a truck up to Edinburgh, and then all that happens. I'm going, oh, my God, what a story, a great story. And thank you, Phil, if you're uh, ever listening, uh, for uh, telling me that one.
4: Yeah, fantastic.
3: Yeah, an amazing story.
4: Another great point. Um, it kind
3: of reminds
1: me of uh, – the van that I drive now, a 1998 <laughs> Town and Country Chrysler, uh, I have had all kinds of issues with this car for the last more than a decade, and I think it all boils down to the the instrument panel circuit board uh, on the back of it. Uh, I think there's some bad solder points, and I've uh, had you know problems with instrumentation. I've had problems with the uh, the engine you know, stalling on me and doing all kinds of crazy things. And I'm thinking, yeah, I I can understand how a circuit board could uh, cause problems like this.
3: Yeah. Uh, And the other thing I love about this story is that it's a reminder to all us captains that when you sit down with a new first officer and you look at him, he's only got two stripes and he doesn't look very old. There's absolutely no reason to assume he isn't actually uh, a very smart guy who knows his stuff. So, uh, Mm yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, even, uh, well, these guys often hide their lights under a bushel is what I'm trying to say.
1: Hide it under a bushel, no! <laughs> I'm going to let it shine.
3: Good for you. Wow. All
4: right.
1: Let it shine, um, let it shine. That's right. It,
4: I'm not even <laughs> going to try this thing.
1: All right. Uh, so another fantastic plain tale. Nick, yeah, I
3: love thank that. You very much. And thank you, Richard, for your input. He's saying uh, the Electra didn't have a tight DC system. So even if they wanted to, as soon as the last one quit, they would have never got the igniters going again to start an engine up. So it's a damn good job that that, uh, you know, last engine didn't give way on them. Wow. What a, what an exciting story. Mm. Yes. Probably more than right. you need. I. I Mind you, they, they got the airplane flying again the very next day. And I and the guys just sort of carried on regardless. So I think they thought it was all part of a day's job for their airline. <laughs> I hope they didn't
1: think that was going to be a normal occurrence. Well, I think
3: they probably did, actually. Oh, great. There you go. Oh, <laughs> off we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Right? Can I make my excuses, please, Jeff? It's yes, been a please very do. Long day please do. Me. All right. I know
1: it's been a very uh, long day, and it's very late for you, so uh, you need to get back to bed.
3: Yeah, that's right. Nick. Otherwise, I am just going to lose tomorrow. And I've only got a couple of days off from uh, off to Miami. So, uh, my regards right. to everybody. Love to see you and Dana, and of course, Steph, who's gone. And uh, enjoy the rest of the show, everybody. And I'll uh, catch you next week. All right. Great see you. Thank
4: you, up. Take on. care. Bye, Dana. Bye. Have a great night.
3: Uh,
1: let's see. Hey, Captain Jeff and APG crew just wanted to share my experience of working the Hurricane Harvey impact assessment with the Civil Air Patrol. We've just finished wrapping up all our paperwork and closed out the mission. Mainly, we provided airborne photography to the state of Texas so that we could assess the amount of flooding and damage to the the, uh, Gulf Coast received. Flying some of these sorties was truly an experience I'll never forget. The amount of flooding Houston received was just unfathomable. Unfathomable. Let me try that again unfathomable. There we go. The photos and videos on the news do no justice. Once you see it in person, the Texas wing of the civil air patrol flew 743 sorties with a flight time totaling 1816 hours over the course of those flights. We took over 375,000 photos and over 34 full hours or excuse me, and over 34 hours of full motion videotape. This was also carried out in roughly just three weeks. 586 people worked the mission, but most of them weren't from Texas. We had members from 39 different wings, or states, respond to the call and provide assistance. Texas wing normally has 13 aircraft in its fleet, but for this mission, with our out-of-state help, we had 32 aircraft carrying out sorties. What's amazing about all of this is all of those 586 members took vacation time from work, took time away from home and gave up their free time all voluntarily just to lend a helping hand to people they've never met before. I was fortunate enough to run air operations for a couple of days and it was touching to see all this overwhelming support coming from people all over the country. Thought you would appreciate the amount of flying that went in on uh, during that time. Yeah, uh, we definitely can appreciate that. That's amazing. I know we've made or we've had multiple storms occur since then and I hope you and your loved ones made it through safely. Thanks for reading and helping me give these people a well deserved shout out. And again, that's Adam Reese, and he's involved with the uh, Civil Air Patrol, and it's uh, an amazing um, service and uh, mission that they perform. And uh, if you're somebody, especially if you're a young person and you're interested in learning uh, to fly and, and uh, getting involved in aviation, I think the Civil Air Patrol is uh, definitely something you should look into.
4: Yeah, it's. Uh, I was involved with it uh, before I became an airline pilot and uh, had a real good experience, met a lot of good people. One of the people that I worked with uh, at ACME before I was flying uh, was the, the wing commander over Georgia, um, and so he helped me get involved. It's a great organization. It's... Uh, <laughs> You know, when you get in the flight deck uh, and, and start talking to, you know, guys like yourself, Jeff, that flew in, the, you know, the Air Force and uh, last guys flew his Navy and, and they want to know if you ever flew in the military, they want to know if you're civilian or military. I always say I flew in the 172nd and 182nd airlift wing and they look at me kind of crooked eyed and say, I've never heard of that. I said, well, yeah, it's called the Civil Air Patrol. I was never in the military, but certainly I was involved with the Civil Air Patrol. It's a great organization. Uh, volunteer. It's a great way to gain experience and uh, also gain, gain some uh, some discipline as to how uh, aircraft should be operated, at least in the in a a, a, a um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, a um, normalized or a uh, standard style and standardizations that's what i was trying to come up with you know a little side mm-hmm. note on that jeff if you don't mind me talking about it um the hurricane that hit uh puerto rico can i talk about that for a moment mm-hmm. all right so sure. it's very similar to this but however uh, a, a, a fellow uh, aviator at acme um, has access to a, a 310 that he owns and he is from puerto rico and he took the uh, 310, and he has organized uh, not only uh, his own aircraft. He had eight or nine other aircraft that went down to Puerto Rico and were providing uh, supplies and airlift and, and help to all the uh, all the people on the island. In addition, ACME uh, sent an aircraft down. And he had, now has a Cessna, Cessna uh, Citation 5, I think it is, or three, one of the two. That also uh, continue to provide airlift. So, you know, you don't have to be necessarily involved with Civil Air Patrol to to, to if you have access to an aircraft, take action and help out. He's uh, he's made a huge difference. He's been on the news. He's been uh, on our web page on uh, you know work. Um, and I just wanted to give him a shout out because it, it's amazing, you know, it, to think that somebody uh, that is, is an aviator takes the time to use a piece of equipment that we take for granted every day to affect so much change on people that have been affected so negatively by uh, Mother Nature. So um, Puerto Rico, the island of Puerto Rico, the people of Puerto Rico uh, are very fortunate to have, uh, I'm going to say his name, Jr. Canales. He uh, has gone way above and beyond um, and... Uh, not, that I'm looking for donations for him, but he does have a uh, um, a um, fund me uh, page that has been funding this airlift. Uh, so, if anybody's interested, I'll be happy to. Maybe I should put that in the show notes, or I'll get you that.
1: Yeah, give me that, that information, information and we can put it in the show notes.
4: Um, but it's uh, it's amazing what the tool tool. I mean, we we talk about what we do in the cockpit, but it's an amazing tool that can be used to help everybody, as it w- was in Houston. So,
1: awesome. Thanks, Dana. Hey, did you know that um, Saturday, the eleventh of November, is Veterans Day here in the United States? And uh, tomorrow is actually Veterans Day observed here in the U.S. Uh, for many uh, folks, it's a uh, it's a holiday. And uh, Micah sent in something last year to commemorate Veterans Day, and I thought it might be. A good opportunity for us to play it again for this year's commemoration so take it away micah
0: here in the usa veterans day used to be called armistice day it celebrated the end of world war I. we celebrate it on november 11th as a treaty between the allies and germany was signed at Compiegne, france on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. if i understand it correctly this same day is celebrated in Britain and the Commonwealth countries as Remembrance Day, a far more dignified and appropriate name. As usual, here in the USA, we change changed the nature of the celebration and have turned it into something else completely. But at least we haven't changed it to a Monday holiday. Not yet, anyway. I grew up with a great respect for Armistice Day in my house. My grandfather, Grandpa Max, served in the U.S. Navy in World War I and during the Mexican campaign before that. Some listeners may remember that he and I shared our first ever flights together in August of 1969, he at the age of 73, me at 13. Now, many listeners also know my father, Lou, was a World War II veteran of the U.S. Army and was called back to the U.S. Air Force as a retread for Korea. He was rightfully very proud of his service, and I was and still am quite proud of him as my dad. He was part of a group of people called The Greatest Generation by newscaster Tom Brokaw. So were most of my mother and father's friends and family. I was raised by this generation, as well as the generation before that fought World War I. Lou was born in 1925 and grew up with a love of all naval vessels dating back to the beginning of time. He was also an airplane geek, note that's in lowercase letters, and was an expert on World War I aircraft. Two of his very favorites were the Spad 7 and the Fokker D7. As part of the greatest generation, at the age of 18 he was drafted out of his engineering studies at CCNY and landed in England on his 19th birthday. He would have been one of the first to land on Omaha Beach during D-Day, but looking back on it, I suppose he was fortunate to have been injured during the preparations for that invasion, suffering with both head and back trauma that plagued him the rest of his life. Fortunately, though, it did keep him off the beach that day. I'm not sure I would be here if he weren't injured then. Those injuries didn't keep him out of the war, though. After the war, Lou went back to college, but having spent so much time building and destroying bridges in the Army Corps of Engineers, he realized engineering was no longer his passion, and he became a psychologist. I suppose in some ways, this made him more valuable to the armed forces, as when he was again drafted, this time as a retread for the Korean War, he was inducted as a second lieutenant in the then-newly formed U.S. Air Force Medical Corps after being introduced by mutual friends, in the summer of 1955, Lou and my mother Harriet were married. I came along a little over a year later. Now growing up, my dad and I would watch many World War II films together. Some we saw in theaters, some we saw on TV. All of them we would watch over and over. A few of our favorites included Battleground, Air Force, Run Silent, Run Deep, 12 o'clock high, The Great Escape, Fighter Squadron, Command Decision, The Gallant Hours, Patton, and Tora Tora Tora. Frankly, to this day, whenever I see one of these films on TV, I tend to watch it again. While watching those films with my dad, I would ask him questions. Questions about his service, about his experience in the war. Questions I didn't know you weren't supposed to ask. My dad being a teacher and a psychologist didn't discourage me. He knew they were innocent questions and use those times to teach me about his experiences, as much as he could anyway. I suppose he realized that talking to me about him having seen the elephant was good for both of us. He also taught me the etiquette about asking, so I'd have a better understanding of veterans. I think watching those films with my dad and him teaching me about the war helped give me the great respect for our military and the sacrifices they made and continue to make to this day in defending we civilians." Thinking back on that makes me think of the word hero and its definition. Now, no, I'm not talking about the sandwich, something I also learned about from my dad and the greatest generation. I'm speaking of the men, and yes, based on societal norms of the time, most often men, who risked their own lives to save others. You see, heroes aren't sports figures or actors or singers. Celebrities aren't heroes, unless the heroism didn't come from their celebrity status. Heroes are people doing their job, not thinking, or maybe at the time not caring about their own safety when they act to save the lives of others. Most heroes aren't celebrities, and don't look for nor want that status. Heroes walk among us, though, and most often we unfortunately don't know them. In truth, they probably wouldn't want to be known as they don't think of themselves as heroes. Most would say, I was just doing my job, and to me, that's what makes them heroes. Now, although my father probably wasn't a hero to anyone but me, Let me tell you what may be an apocryphal story about him. While I was growing up, he owned a 1914 32 ACP German Mauser handgun that was captured during the war. I asked him how he got it, and he explained that it was all a big mistake. You see, it was after V.E. Day, and Dad was still overseas. He was somewhere along the Belgium-Luxembourg-German border. Things were safe, and he was out at a local pub. Drunk as a skunk, he would say. Now, Lou was fluent in French at least back then he was. Between his high school French and being stationed in France for quite some time, along with his natural talent with accents, Lou spoke French back then like he was born in Paris. In fact, he spoke it so well, the story goes, that when he came back to the States and was down at Southern Methodist University working on his bachelor's degree, he went to speak to the French department chair about being released from the foreign language requirement. He was waiting in the outer office, looking down, reading a book, when someone came in bumped into him, and tripped over his feet. My dad, having just returned from the war, and being a tough vet who didn't like to be disturbed, would not have any of that. He had French so fluently embedded in his mind back then that he thoroughly cursed a stranger out in a perfect Parisian dialect. A few minutes later, when he was ushered inside the inner office, he found out he had just cursed out the French department chair Southern Methodist. As it turned out, The chair told my dad it was obvious he didn't need any of the French department's courses and was excused from the foreign language requirement. But that's another story. Let's get back to post-war Europe. Lou was on the Belgium-Luxembourg-German border in some pub, drunk as a skunk. He didn't know much German, but while overhearing a conversation at the next table, he was sure he strung together enough to know that a German colonel had not surrendered and was hiding out in a house in the local village. My drunken father dutifully went to report this to his commanding officer, who was not pleased. The CO could see my dad was drunk, and he knew he didn't speak any German. The commanding officer sent him to his barracks and ignored him. Not to be ignored, Lou stormed back into the duty office and insisted they needed to go to the address he had and arrest this German colonel. This time my dad was sent back to his barracks, escorted by MPs, who stripped him down to his skivvies and put him to bed. Still not thwarted, My father returned to his CO and insisted he had to go arrest this colonel. The CO must have been some understanding kind of guy and didn't throw my drunken father in the brig, but took him and a couple of MPs to the house to prove that there was no German colonel hiding out in this fully cleared area. They entered the house, and sure enough, there was a German colonel hiding out there. He was at the top of the stairs and drew his sidearm, a 1914 32 ACP German Mauser, and started firing down at my dad, the two MPs, and their CO. Lou, still being drunk, thought to himself, somebody has to get that gun, and went charging up the stairs to take it away. The German colonel, either stunned at this stupidity, or out of ammunition, we'll never know, stopped shooting, and my father seized his weapon. Stupidity, drunkenness, heroism, maybe a bit of all that, But when my dad, after telling a story in his joking good-natured and racontorial manner, was asked why he didn't get a medal, he would say he was just lucky he didn't end up in the brig and lose his good conduct ribbon. You see, my father may have been a hero to me for various reasons, that being one of them, but it's not the prima facie basis of it. It does make me think, though, of other heroes. There's a former U.S. Air Force pilot I know, who, among other duties during his service, was a flight instructor. He wasn't just any flight instructor, though. He would instruct many pilots about to wash out and was usually able to get them back on track and into the sky, making real USAF pilots out of them. Then there's this former RAF pilot I know, who also, among other things during his service, would hear a klaxon alarm and hop into his F-4 Phantom and run off to chase down and intercept Russian Bear bombers. He'd show them we were ever ready and not going to be surprised by them. Through their service, both these pilots... Helped in keeping a cold war from getting hot and creating the kind of heroes that most often come to mind when we think of Veterans or Remembrance Day. So as a civilian, with a great respect for those who serve in our military, I want to extend my thanks to all of you who did and do serve there. Thanks for keeping us safe. Thanks for just doing your job. For the airline pilot guy here in Portland, this is your main man, Micah.
1: As always, thank you, Micah. Awesome. Yeah, Veterans Day. It's an important day for us to kind of t- take a step back and kind of uh, celebrate uh, those who have, um, you know, served in our armed forces. Uh, Dana, you said you had something you wanted to talk about.
4: Yes, I, I do. I had uh, um, a very moving experience this past week, and I didn't mention it because, uh, you know, we get so caught up in our day to day lives, we forget about um, the people that sacrifice. Uh, and what they do every day to protect our liberties and freedoms that we get to enjoy in this country, to, you know, despite what your, what your uh, religious beliefs are. Or, sorry about the background Julie's noise home. there. <laughs> yeah, Julie's home. Um, I, there's, there's an article, and, I, and I, I'm going to go ahead and read from it because it, it's really telling, and then I'll tell you how, how I'm related to it, if you don't mind me taking a few moments mm-hmm. here, um, because it's really, it's really uh, special. Uh, Family, friends, and and community members will gather this Veterans Day to honor an American hero who has been lost for more than 75 years. It was December 5, 1942, when Army Technician 4th Grade Peter Mason Counter was killed during a lethal firefight with Japanese forces near Sopta in present-day Papua New Guinea. Following the battle, the 25-year-old from northern Michigan was hastily buried in an isolated grave north of the village near Sanandata Tract. I can't, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, he went unidentified for decades. On Saturday, Connor's relatives will hold a ceremony he never received uh, at the funeral home in Onwe, the city of less than 1,000 people, where he was born on January 25th, 1918. His long journey home um According to the Defense Department, the remains of the unidentified American soldier tentatively associated with the company, uh, Charlie, 126th Infantry Regiment of the 20th, 32nd Infantry, Infantry Division were interred at the U.S. Temporary Cemetery No. 2 on Supta. On April 6, 1943, the remains designated Unknown X-10 re, were reinterred at Temporary Cemetery No. 1 in Soput. Soputa, then interred at the U.S. Armed Forces, uh, redesignated unknown X 171. In 1947, the American Graves Registration Service exhumed approximately 11,000 graves, including X 171, which was redesignated to another number. And then they were shipped to uh, his remains, were shipped to Central Identification Point in Manila. Um, Continuing on, Uh, Through forensics analysis using DNA, dental records, and circumstantial evidence, Connor's identity was confirmed on August 2nd, nearly six years after the initial contact with the family was made. His uh, closest living uh, aunt, uh, not aunt, uh, relative, uh, passed away just before the identification, so she never knew whether it was him or not. Where it comes, where it comes into play for me was very emotional uh, day for me, and that was uh, flying from Minneapolis to Grand Rapids. Uh, he counter returned return home on Wednesday. His casket, in an American flag, as military personnel removed his remains from the airplane. Um, with the new knowledge that her her family's last member, the uh, Colias, I can't read that, reached out to funeral home owner Melissa. Shagon Sayers to organize a memorial ceremony for anyone who would like to pay their respects. He was an American hero that I had the opportunity to have on my aircraft. Um, And in Minneapolis, I saw an honor guard with um, something that ACME does very well. They uh, have a special cart. and I'll send you the photos, Jeff, so we can put this into the show notes. Um, They have a special cart. And they draped the, uh, the c- coffin with a U.S. flag. And they have an honor guard there, uh, both for loading and unloading. Um, and it was very emotional for us to be there to honor this gentleman that served our country and served it and died protecting everything that we get to celebrate here in this country, and that's freedom. So on this Veterans Day, uh, Veterans Day I certainly want to take this opportunity to recognize Peter M. Counter for his sacrifice to our country, and uh, for all those out there that serve our country, thank you very much for what you do every, each and every day to protect us in, in everything that we get to enjoy here in the United States of America.
1: Yes, from the uh, all of us on the APG crew and the APG community, we salute everybody who has served in the military forces. And let's move on with something a little bit more uplifting.
7: Hi, my name's Matt. I'm a captain on the CRJ series aircraft at Acme Jr. And this is how I got here. My exposure to aviation started when I was five years old. My family and I were going from Greenville, North Carolina, to Raleigh, Durham, and we were on a beach 1900. And I vividly remember telling my mom, I want to be a pilot when I grow up. And she said, why don't you tell the pilots that then? So I did. And uh, the captain said, why don't you climb in my seat? I remember it like it was yesterday, a huge attitude indicator staring me in the face. And I couldn't get that, that vision out of my head. I was like, this is how they fly the airplane. Blue is the sky, brown is you know the ground. But the most fun I've ever had in my entire life at five years old was playing with the popcorn button. I did that for a good 10 minutes while everyone was boarding. Bing dong, ding dong, ding dong. I was having a blast. Yeah, it was a seatbelt sign. I realize that now. But most importantly, it was a great experience and I'll never forget it. And I would not be surprised if that crew was the same age as myself and my other first officers I fly with. And it was a great experience to get started that way aviation has been extremely good to me. So good that they actually got me fired from my first job. I was a server at a restaurant called I'm So Angry It's Monday. And it was a great place to work. But the story goes something like this. I was in San Antonio in November, uh, November 2009. The weather had been complete garbage. It's been just socked in day in and day out. I could not get a flight in Fast forward about a month later, December twenty eighth. My instructor calls me up twenty minutes before I am about to go to work, and he's like, "Hey, dude, there is an airplane available. You want to go flying?" I am like, "Absolutely!" I called my boss. Hey, he's like, "What's going on?" I say, hey, "It's Matt. I am um, having some intestinal issues. I don't think I come in today." He said, "Okay, well, we need you." I am like, "Well, I, I can't come in. I mean, I, this is this is, this is I, I can't come in." He's like, "All right, fair enough." And that was my first point nine a Piper uh, Piper Cherokee. What it was. I was so excited. So excited on cloud nine. Fast forward two more days going to work, as happy as can be making money for my flying. And my manager's like, hey, Matt, let's have a talk. I'm like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey, what's going on, Mr. Manager? He's like, well, um, you didn't come into work on Tuesday. I said, I know. I, I was sick. He, and he was like, well, you know, we really need you here. And uh, part of being a re- an employee is being reliable. And, um... You know, I'm in a very tough spot. I don't know if I should should keep you around or what. What would you do if you were in my position, Matt? And I said, Well, if I was in your position, I would keep me around. Well, I can't. I can't do that, Matt. So at that point, I realized I was. I have a job and I have any chance of making solid money to fly. So my aviation career in 2000, 2009 was very short lived. Hence, about less than an hour's worth. After that fateful day of losing my job at a. I'm so angry, it's Monday. I tightened up my bootstraps, and went on my merry way. The world was not gonna hold me down. I was going to college at the time. I was also, I was studying International Business Management. This is not what I wanted to do, so I decided to really find a way to do flying lessons. And I was able to do that on the side at a little mom and pop airport out there in San Antonio. But Butch came to shove once I graduated and I realized I had no real job and flying was not in the cards. I had no, really no experience. I didn't even have a commercial rating yet. So I got this wonderful idea to make some quick cash. So I started selling cars, new and used Infinities. And I tell you what, it was a very eye-opening experience. It was a lot of fun, but um, I realized that I can make some serious, serious money. And flying wasn't gonna bring me that, but I really wanted to fly. So throughout my entire time at um, Infinity, on my uh, computer screen, I had a picture of a CRJ cockpit, because that was my motivation to get me through this. This was a purely page turning job, was not my career. So I had this bright idea to move to the San Francisco Bay Area with absolutely no money. I found myself flying a Cessna 172 for a local traffic watch company, putzing along at a thousand feet around the entire Bay Area from Oakland, San Jose to the San Francisco area while the reporter was in the left seat looking down doing live traffic reports on the eights and we were there five in the morning to about 8.30 in the uh, morning, and then I would do that three times a day, and it was unbelievably exhilarating because there's just tons of traffic, and you're reporting that traffic. You, know, you feel like you're really giving something back to the community so people know where not to go on the road and around this Bay Area, whether or not they even should go outside because there's always traffic in the Bay Area. Traffic Watch in and of itself gave me the best flying of my career so far. I mean, yeah, there's nothing that comes close to landing a jet in Chicago here, but there's also nothing greater than being a 1,000 feet over the San Mateo Bridge on a clear day, 7.30 in the morning, and seeing a 747 fly right over you. It's probably the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. After getting the required experience, I was picked up as a first officer at Acme Junior. I was so happy, I was so excited. My dream as a small kid came to fruition at this point. Um, fast forward to uh, IOE, and this is where it all really sank in. I was new, I actually had no idea what I was doing. Put it bluntly. We're in Chicago and we're going to Wichita. We get in the airplane, people are loading up, and I, you know, at this point, I'm really relaxed. I really feel like, hey, you know, I'm doing a great job. I'm a good FO. I'm doing the FMS, setting up the box, you know, really, you know, having a great brief that sounded like a five-year-old trying to spell a word. It was great. It was awesome. Door closes, run through a checklist, and the captain says, all right, call him. I turn to him and said, call who? Ramp. And what about him? Oh, you call Ramp. Oh, okay. What do I say? You call him for pushback. And there it was, we pushed back. I felt like a schmuck on the radio and I realized I'm not escaping this. I'm having to stay in this airplane for at least two legs to get back home. Then I can cry in my pillow. So we're taxing out, we call metering. Metering goes well, I figured that one out. And uh, we're, we're told to monitor ground. And this is where it, it, the fun really began. I flip over and mayhem ensues. I mean, so many people talking on the radio. The controller strings off a group of letters as long as my arm and it went straight over my head. I look to my left and I hear this voice of calm, voice of a hero. He says, don't worry, I got this. Acme Junior, one, two, three, four, Alpha, Alpha 10, Tango, November. Shorter, November 2. We're only 28 right, November 5. It was at this point I realized I have so much to learn. Fast forward three years, I'm the captain now. Sitting in my airplane waiting on ground and the right seat is a brand new first officer. It struck me that this is eerily similar to my first experience as an FO. Ground came up, issued us a taxi clearance with a string of letters as long as my arm. And the FO looks at me with fear in his eyes. And I fell for him. I was there not that long ago. I turned to him, I said, don't worry. I got this. First day off Captain IOE, I'm excited, I'm ready to go. I hear my phone ringing, and sure enough, it's cruise port. Hey Matt, we have a two hour call out for you. So I'm ready, I get my nicely brand new pressed shirt. My tie is impeccable, my epaulets are so shiny you go blind if you look at them directly. I walk past them here in the hotel room, I pause. I look to my right and say, hey captain, look at you. And I look at my phone, I'm like, my FO is about three to four years senior to me and he's twice my age. You wanna talk about getting the wind taken out of your sails. I was immediately deflated. I'm some new guy, some 28 year old schmuck in the left seat and my FO is like probably double the experience I have. But, you know, we take the positive in life. I was like, yeah, he could help me out. So I asked the gage and hey, is everyone down there? Yeah, we're just waiting on you. I walk down there as happy as can be. Get the airplane. Airplane's totally cold and dark. Powered down, just no lights whatsoever. So I walk back up, I say, Hey, gate agent, um, there's no one down there. Is everyone, is everyone down there? So, yeah, everyone's down there. So I go back down there again. I look a little harder. No, I don't see anybody. So I walk back up. I look at my release, look at the board, look at the airplane, everything matches. I look at it again, third time. I said, are you sure? This is the flight going to to Greensboro, right? She said, yes. No one's down there. Look, they're down there. All right, we're waiting on you. So I go down there and sure enough, my, my FO, my flight attendant are in the second row just sitting down there in the dark. And I said, where have you guys been? They said, we were here the entire time. You came in the airplane three times, didn't say a word to us and walked right back out. We were wondering the same thing. <sighs> I just thought to myself, this is going to be a great first day. I realized I didn't have the confidence in myself that I needed to be an effective captain. And there's a great way to fix that. Triple chime, master warning. On that fateful day coming out of Clarksburg, FO commands, gear up, put the gear up. Ding, 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 gear, disagree. My first thought was, what is this? This is not the sim, why is this happening now? Ran through the QRH, ran through proper procedures, got the airplane back on the ground safely in one piece, parked the airplane back at the maintenance facility, and Bombardier is waiting there. And they said, hey captain, bring the QRH. We we, we need to talk to you. My first thought was, all right, what did I do? But I knew I did the right thing. I knew I did what my company taught me to do, how to run through the procedures, and I knew I did the right thing. And sure enough, we went line by line through that curation. Every step of the way, it only validated that decisions I made were the correct ones. And at that point, I knew I had what it takes to be a captain and effective one. I had that command presence. I had the ability to lead a crew and ultimately get an airplane back on the ground safely the correct way. So what I would pass on to brand new captains, brand new FOs, even brand new pilots is that you are going to make mistakes. You are. And it's okay to make them. It's okay to make mistakes. But what really defines you as a captain and really as a pilot is what have you done after the mistake? How have you responded? What have you ultimately learned from that mistake? That is the best way to grow and mature as a pilot. I'm Captain Matt, and this is how I got here. Hi, my name's Matt. I... Uh, <laughs> Hi, Matt. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and I decided to take my first flight. However, that first flight cost me my, fir- my uh, first real job, I guess you can say, at a restaurant called... I can't believe it's not Monday. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the restaurant, eh? that's not that. <laughs> I'm thinking of butter right now, dude. <laughs> Traffic Watch brought me some of the best visuals so I've. Back and go a little bit level. Do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about Nazis? Good. Well,
6: yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, when you, when you start,
7: come down in the bottom. Oh, okay. Don't be like, Burr, yeah. Yeah, Burr, here I am. hey, everybody. Um, <laughs> I, I like airplane. That first trip, I realized that I didn't have the confidence in myself to be the, um, to be the captain of that. What the hell, dude? <laughs> So what I would pass on to brand new captains, brand new FOs just breaking into the airlines, and even new pilot. <laughs> phones, phones, people, phones. Yeah, the one thing I thought about when I was being captain, you gotta take things away from me. You know, you gotta take make mistakes. You're gonna make them. You can make them hard. But you know what? Be a man, man up, don't do them again, and that's that. That's what's what. <laughs> How's that?
6: Okay.
7: Um, okay. Serious, serious, serious. (laughs) Flying was more important than serving a few people on a Tuesday afternoon at TGI Fridays in San Antonio. (laughs) 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 Can't make this stuff up.
4: (laughs) 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 Another great job
1: by Captain Steve Horn. He's the one that uh, puts all these together, and uh, that was one of his real life first uh, Well, I guess in this case, uh, real life captain, uh, captain that great. Yes, yeah. Uh, really enjoyable. And thanks for putting those, um, uh, those, uh, bloopers at the end of the reel. Uh, that was uh, a lot of fun.
4: <laughs> Thank you, Steve. That was fantastic.
1: All right. Um, uh, when, uh, we were listening to that, uh, there, I was, I was kind of re- looking at the uh, conversation happening in the, uh, live chat room. And, uh, again, If you're able to and you follow us on Twitter or you have one of the uh, smartphone uh, mobile device apps uh, where we put out uh, push notifications, which seem to be working recently, which is cool, Um, you can uh, join us while we do this live and uh, there's a very active audience that we uh, usually have with us as we're recording and uh, the chat room is a lot of fun. Anyway, Lane was saying something about yesterday when I was coming through Atlanta uh, the uh, they they turned the airport around. Uh, in other words, uh, they went switched from a west operation to an east operation. And he said that he was very impressed with the uh, efficiency with which the uh, uh, Atlanta operations folks did that. You know, the air traffic controllers and everything else. And I said, yeah, they're very good at that, and uh, uh, one of the best in in the industry, I think. And
4: uh, I, I I would absolutely agree with you, Jeff. I mean, we. The uh, the guy I was just flying with this past week, we were talking about um, in comparison because I had the unique experience as a Mad Dog guy to fly into Salt Lake this past week, um, which doesn't happen very often for us. And we were, ta- we were talking about the different air traffic control centers and and not to put uh, the you know make Atlanta's uh, head too big, but uh, out of all of them out there, I think Atlanta, especially with the airport, they do a fantastic job. Yeah, the highest they really operate it. A- yeah. very well highest
1: rate of um, you know approaches landings and takeoffs of uh, any airport in the, the world i believe so yeah. uh, and it's when amazing. they have to turn everything around like that it's pretty uh, pretty amazing and uh, we didn't know the uh, actually we found out that they were turning the airport around when we were pushing back and uh, the uh, ramp controller gave us a heads up and said oh by the way i don't know if you know uh, but the latest information is this letter and uh, they just uh, they're in the midst of turning the operation around and uh, which is nice for us planning because we have you know all of our performance data it was was based on the uh, the current operation and not the future operation of the uh, airfield so we had to you know put in a request for uh, new performance data and that kind of thing but at least we were informed of it at at an early point and so that you know that that was nice of them to do that and then we got out there and um, ended up, you know, having to get into a long queue of aircraft, uh, awaiting departure in the new direction, but, uh, it was pretty seamless and we actually ended up making it to uh, Augusta last night, uh, on time, actually a little bit early. So even with all that, we were able to, uh, you know, succeed in getting our passengers from Atlanta to Augusta on time.
4: Well, I mean, today was a perfect example, Jeff. Even though I was, you know, very frustrated because the, the you know, all the delays and the long day turned into be that it shouldn't have been, you know, in the the very short uh, notice hold about seven miles from the hold fix, um, doing 326 knots. As How I fast were at you going? In the show, 326 really? knots. <laughs> no, yes, just cause they told us <laughs> they told us go as fast as we possibly can. And we were going as fast because they're trying to get us in mm-hmm. to, you know before they switched it yeah. around and of course they the notice came down well all right so we hustled and we end up getting to the whole fix well we didn't even complete one churn in holding before they had switched everything around from a east operation to a west operation put us on a new arrival and vector you know told us to go direct to the fix um which i'm not yeah i can't uh, it it sounds silly that i don't know the name of the fixes but honestly they just changed yeah, all, all the arrivals and departures in atlanta so i know it's uh, it was related to star wars um <laughs> the sith. i think it was jedi no. yeah sith the sith and then i think it was jedi is a new yeah. new fix we were cleared to but it was amazing that you know within 10 minutes the, the you know one of the busiest airports in the entire world um, they switched that operation around within ten minutes. It was amazing. So yeah, despite the, the frustrations today, it, it, it's uh, it, it was it was quite it's quite an accomplishment for, for what they can uh, what they can accomplish mm-hmm. in Atlanta because they're just so well organized. They've got a great great team. I think in leadership uh, in in the centers in, in you know approach and in, in the tower, and it, it's you know despite you know Mister Happy in the tower. <laughs> which not, you and I both know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, they, a true testament that they do such a great job. You know, can't go in a shower without a delay, but you can come to Atlanta and they switch it all around. Yeah.
1: Um, speaking of those new uh, arrivals that just went into effect, um, as you said, uh, on the south side, they have uh, the Sith arrival, which is a um, Star Wars themed uh, arrival with all kinds of Star Wars points. In fact, our first fix out of Augusta was uh, Leia, um and then we uh, per, did the uh, sith um arrival and then there, the other one on the south side i believe the new one is um has something to do with the hobbit um uh, the trilogy yes. and then on the north side they have a couple of new ones that are based on uh braves baseball greats like chipper jones and uh some of the,
4: the chipper yeah arrival. yeah but anyway
1: um and aussie i think is another one up there but um the uh,
4: and i'm trying to figure out what ozzy has anything to do with I think it. Was, I and, um, wasn't ozzy no no no
1: ozzy uh one of the baseball players what was his name ozzy oh, okay. smith i think
4: ozzy uh, smith yeah, yeah.
1: um That's him. so uh, but this morning coming in from Augusta and they were from that du- general direction somebody else is coming in and the approach controller gave uh, them clearance to uh, descend via the uh the Sith arrival and he and he goes "roger uh, descend via the fifth arrival" and 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 he goes no the the the, the Sith arrival and it was like he could not, he, he thought that they were saying fisk, and, he, and we're we're just kind of shaking our heads and I'm thinking you know he's probably looking in his flight management system database you know his pages trying to figure out what you know and then he goes could you please uh, spell that phonetically for us please <laughs> he goes so he goes Sierra and and then he goes oh the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of went on the radio. And went duh. <laughs> anyway, I shouldn't have, but I couldn't help myself.
4: Of course, um, of course. And, and you don't have a recognizable, a recognizable to, voice at all, there, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Hey, Nobody ever
1: knows. Yeah, you. I try to disguise my voice. That's um, my voice. Just quickly uh, before we go, we're, we're getting toward the end of the show here. And, uh, and before I lose any of my, more of my co-hosts and I'm solo, I, I think I better stop the show soon. Um, and thank you, Dana, for, for hanging out with me. Um, Absolutely. but, um, I, uh, received this, uh, feedback from Josh in Tulsa and he, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, great city and, he and i wrote him back after he sent this and i think I, I thought you know i thought we did talk about this but then after i sent him that email i thought well maybe not but you'll remember a few episodes back uh, we were talking about the youtube video of the cute little 5 year old almost 6 year old kid uh who was in the uh, cockpit of an airbus yes. and uh he was telling you know it was like a little um you know baby uh, miami rick and uh you know just explaining all the systems and all this kind of stuff just amazing and uh, he is absolutely apparently, um, the, the company, uh, Etihad, um, invited him, uh, to, uh, to come to their company and their simulators and all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, let me read, uh, Josh's email to you. Uh, I hope you are all well. I didn't catch 296 live. So you may have already talked about this. Uh, and then he gave us a link to this uh, YouTube video and he said, this is the follow-up to the video you played a few episodes ago where the little boy was speaking to the pilots about all the aircraft systems. Apparently, Etihad got wind of the video and invited him to have a go in their A380 sim. What a great story. And so again, we'll put a link to this uh, sim in the I mean the uh, video of uh, six-year-old Adam. Um, the uh, description of the video is this. Six-year-old Adam has always been fascinated by planes and aviation. His dream is to become a captain of an A380 Airbus on board a flight from Morocco to Abu Dhabi on uh, Etihad or our Etihad Airlines, excuse me. Let me try that again. Our Etihad Airways cabin crew noticed that the boy clearly wanted to fly the plane and was passionate about the aircraft. They decided to create the opportunity of a lifetime for Adam by inviting him up to the cockpit. The video went viral after Captain Samer Yaklev managed to film some of Adam's genius on his phone. The world was captivated. We were so amazed by Adam when he came to talk to us in the cockpit that we wanted to make his dreams a reality. Adam became an Etihad pilot for a day and actually had the opportunity to fly his favorite aircraft in our training academy. Captain Adam, may your dreams fly high. They even made a little uniform for him, a little short-sleeve pilot shirt with epaulets and hat and uh, everything. So he got the uh, royal treatment from Etihad. And uh, again, if you haven't seen that, uh, please check out that uh, link in our show notes. And,
4: you know, do you think they're going to lower the, uh, lower the age he can become a pilot? <laughs> they may I mean, this, this, this kid is absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, how are a stick and rudder skills? Come on.
4: Really? Uh, I, you want to know what, based on what, you know, with today's technology <laughs> and, and, and what we have available for simulators and, and you know, the computer systems and, I, I would imagine it actually probably be pretty good. Yep.
1: So. All right. Well, uh, Josh, um, thank you for sending that in. And um, if we hadn't talked about it in the, in a previous episode, we have now, so got all those bases covered. So uh, thank you everyone for uh, downloading this episode for subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite pod catching service and uh also for those of you watching the video thanks for uh subscribing to the YouTube channel we do appreciate that as well and again if you have the opportunity to follow us on social media and uh see those t- if you happen to see our tweets and Facebook post uh for when we're uh, recording the show please do think about uh, joining us live i think you'll have a lot of fun great group of people here uh, week in and week out uh, as we record the APG show and if you want to learn more about the show you can head over to the website AirlinePilotGuy.com and uh, there you'll find more information about the crew, the uh, community, uh, merchandise, uh, the coffee fund uh, and more. So again AirlinePilotGuy.com and also don't forget we do have the uh, free uh, advertising-free apps on both the iOS and Android platforms and uh, information about that can be found in the show notes and also on the airline pilot guy website. Um, social media, we usually uh, have Steph cover that, but uh, basically, it's at APG Crew on Twitter, and there you'll find uh, you can get all of us there. Um, we all, you can also find our individual IDs on Twitter uh, if you go over to A, at APG Crew, and uh, also the uh, Facebook page facebook.com slash airline pilot guy and we have something called slack or a group on slack and uh, Hillel has information about how you can join the APG slack group
6: APG listeners please join us on our slack team on slack we share news and ideas we suggest episode and plain tales topics we plan meetups and events to get into the slack team please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at hi11e1 and i'll send you an invitation that's hillel at hi11e1 and see you in slack
1: all right thank you hillel and let's see anything else you want to add uh, dana before we uh, sign off for today's show
4: no another great show enjoyed being here so uh, look forward to seeing everybody uh, next week and then of course on upcoming 300 it's gonna be a good yeah looking
1: time. forward to that and uh, we're gonna squeeze in let's see this is 97 so we have 98 99 so two more shows i'll somehow squeeze in before the 300th episode on the 25th of november this month so hopefully uh, we'll be able to see you there and until next time wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and god bless
4: bye everybody
2: day I used to be such a good good pilot till I started APG I open doors for
0: little old ladies I help them to their seats
3: Airline pilot guy I fly all fly a oh. Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fog oh.
2: I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time I can land this old plane. I can land it just fine.
0: Airline, not
3: a guy. I'm a flyer.
6: Opinions expressed on the airline pilot guy podcast may not represent the views, opinions, or policies of any airline, real or fictionalized, mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped by any of the participants, guests, or feedback providers. You may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard on this or any prior episode of the airline pilot guy podcast.
3: It ain't boring, I ain't going.